haven't washed my feet in over two weeks. And I don't plan on washing them until after the King of the Ring tournament. Table. Good. A series of crushing blows. Look at this. Driving. It's 568 pounds. Listen to this. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to June of 1995 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is a WCW show looking at the news of their launch of their new Monday night television show starting in September as well as a review of the Great American Bash pay-per-view episode, sorry, Volume 3 is uh, myself and Dell doing our ECW roundup. Uh, But we are back uh, here in Volume 2 for the WWF, uh, reviewing King of the Ring largely. Introducing first, Dale Muir. Dale, good evening. Hi, Bob. And our man for Across the Pond in Canada, Jeff Parker. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whatever it is over there. Close enough. We we, we line up the time zones, that's all that matters. (laughs) Um, Jeff, kick us off with the news. All right, so... uh... Vince McMahon described WCW's move to create a new television show against Monday Night Raw as a very poor move in a rare interview this month. Uh, he described it as a predatory move, which is wholly ironic for many re- levels, uh, and said it was the equivalent of corporate America taking on this one family-owned enterprise. Um, McMahon said that the move will simply prove which is the better product, and it will enable the customer to compare the two. Uh, we'll have more thoughts on these comments later on in the show. And talking of Vince McMahon, WWF held their King of the Ring annually this month. A show that's been almost universally planned after Mabel beat out the likes of Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. And is now your 1995 King of the Ring. The tournament itself was actually dominated by Savio Vega, who ended up wrestling four times on the show, eventually losing it to Mabel in the final. Mabel defeated Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels fought Tama to a draw, eliminating both men. Elsewhere in the show, Bret Hart defeated Jerry Lawler in a kiss-my-foot match, and Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow beat Sid and Tatonka in the main event, when Sid simply left ringside and Tatonka ended up taking the pin. And uh, in other news, Chris Benoit, Arguably the most talented wrestler in North America not signed presently to the WWF or WCW had a tryout match before Raw against Bob Holly. Although at the time of recording, it's thought that his Japan commitments may be a stumbling block in their ongoing uh, conversations. It's said that Vince McMahon was delighted with what he saw and he and the other backstage WWF personnel and wrestlers watched from both ringside and backstage. Uh, the major issue still remains that Benoit's desire will be the headline shows in Japan, which the WWF would probably not allow their talents to do because they don't do that. And talking more of current talent, Monday Night Raw saw record ratings for the second time in as many months last month as the 29th of May show headlined by Jeff Jarrett and The Undertaker did a 3.9 rating. 
The 3.9 is exactly the same as Bam Bam Bigelow and Diesel, whose main event in April also drew a 39, but with slightly more homes watching in May, the Jarrett Undertaker rating equates to more viewers. And the, uh, the WWF held their Hall of Fame ceremony this month in an event praised by almost everyone in attendance. Inductions into this year's Hall of Fame class were Ivan Putsky, Fabulous Moolah, George the Animal Steel, the Big Cat Ernie Ladd, Pedro Morales, Antonino Rocco, and the Grand Wizard. And last up for news in June, we bring the news a couple of significant names who will be very likely to be debuting with the company soon, both of which are pretty much all but formalities at this moment. Dustin Rhodes, formerly WCW, has been in negotiations and could debut as early as the next set of TV tapings if they can work out a gimmick for him. It said Rhodes is very eager to come up with a new character for himself, and elsewhere the saga of Shane Douglas appears to be finally coming to a close. Douglas will work the final set of ECW shows at the very beginning of July, and is said to have a WWF contract already to sign. <laughs> you know, ordinarily, I have these lovely ladies... Clean and wash my royal feet every morning. You really, you really pamper those tender toes, don't you? <laughs> but you know what? It's been a little rough as of late, hasn't it? That's right. And the reason is this. I haven't washed my feet in over two weeks. And I don't plan on washing them until after the King of the Ring tournament. <laughs> Front the hitman heart. You want a rematch with me? After I beat you single-handedly? Well, that's fine. You got it. At King of the Ring. But it's under my conditions. And my conditions are these. (laughs) The loser of this match is going to have to get down on his hands and knees and crawl across the ring. And then in front of the entire world, he's going to have to kiss the feet of the winner. Those are going to be my feet, Bret Hart. And believe me, between now and the King of the Ring, oh, I can just imagine. Look at the filth. Look at, oh, look at that. Look at the dirt. There's going to be corns. There's going to be calluses. Oh, there may even be hammer toes. <laughs> Bret Hart, I can't wait. It's going to be the crowning moment of my entire life when I see you pucker your lips up and have to kiss my royal feet. WWF Superstars opens June with a promo with Joe Lawler with his manky brown feet on display. He says he hasn't washed them in two weeks and won't do prior to King of the Ring. He says his match against Brett on the pay-per-view will be a match where the loser has to kiss the winner's foot. We start June on Raw as we ended May with Bob Backlund opening Raw canvassing for votes for his presidential run outside the arena. Vince McMahon opens the show and touts the record ratings for last week's show that featured the main event of The Undertaker against Jeff Jarrett. We get the in-ring debuts of Savio Vega and the Body Dollars, skip managed by Sonny. It'd be fair to say that the focus on the entrance and big parts of the match was on Sonny, not Skip. Jean-Pierre Lafitte also made his Raw debut with a highly impressive squash match finished by a top rope cannonball. The British Bulldog and Owen Hart fought to a time limit draw in their King of the Ring qualifying match. As a result, both men have been eliminated from the tournament. This match was actually taped after the In Your House show went off air last month. Bret Hart cuts an in-ring promo. We get a picture-in-picture of Lawler on commentary presenting his foot to the camera and even some people in the front row. 
As part of the ongoing jabs being taken between the WWF and WCW, the WWF aired a video package promoting Yokozuna, which just happened to show his victory over Hulk Hogan at King of the Ring two years ago. Yokozuna will face Lex Luger next week in the King of the Ring qualifying match. And for those wondering, Todd Pettengill has now ditched his mullet. Superstars on June 10th sees Diesel give an update on his elbow injury. He says that he's behind schedule on his rehab and there is still significant scarring from the surgery. Waylon Mercy cuts a promo. He throws a rock into the ocean and says the rock creates ripples and when Waylon Mercy gets into the WWF, he isn't going to create ripples, he's going to create waves. In the main event, Jerry Lawler defeats Aldo Montoya before making Montoya kiss his foot and then stuffing his big toe in Montoya's mouth. That was as disgusting as you can imagine. We open Monday Night Raw on the 12th of June with a big build-up to the Lex Luger-Yokozuna match, including another video package recapping their feud from two years ago. Carmen wins a squash match, then gets in the face of two people at ringside who brought a black wreath along with them. Vince McMahon calls them the quote-unquote creatures of the night, and they're still around on the following week's show and at the pay-per-view. For those keeping score, Bob Backlund is now cutting promos that are essentially gibberish. In the process, he breaks Man Mountain Rock's guitar, inexplicably left in a hallway for some reason, it looks to it like that's going to set up for a match. We get to Lex versus Yokozuna in the main event. They repeat the spot from SummerSlam where two years ago where Lex knocks Yokozuna's spark out with his metal plate to the outside. This time Yokozuna gets revived in time though. The match does end by count out however, but this time with Yokozuna winning. As Luger gets distracted by Mr. Fuji on the outside, Yokozuna drives his head off the ring post and then leg drops him. We end Raw with Jerry Lawler's training video. He's in a stable walking around barefoot in horse shit. It's a lovely visual, as you can imagine. On Superstars on June the 17th, Jerry Lawler comes out to ringside with one bare foot during a Bret Hart match against Henry Godwin. Lawler's interference causes a double countout, and Hart charges him up the ramp. Vincent Mann interviews Diesel on Bam Bam Bigelow. Diesel said he's yet to receive clearance from WWF doctors about competing on the pay-per-view. On Raw on June 19th, Psycho Sid and Tanka win their tag match against the Head Shrinkers. Jerry Lawler gives us a tour of his dungeon of torture. Shawn Michaels wins a squash match. Karma storms out to attack him post-match. Then The Undertaker comes out to Shawn's aid. And then Mabel comes out as we end the segment. And we move on to King of the Ring. Dell, we will start with the results. Yep, starting off first world, we had uh, a live match where Savio Vega beaten Edwin Arshay in the last qualifier of the... The tournament just before the camera started rolling in the live pay-per-view. First match then also saw Savio Vega going over Yokozuna. That was by count-out. The roadie with Jeff Jarrett then defeated Bob Sparkplug Holly. And in the final quarterfire, Shawn Michaels and Kama wrestled to a time limit draw and Mabel defeated The Undertaker. Into the semi-finals with the time limit draw earlier, Mabel got a bye and Savio Vega defeated the roadie. We then had the Kiss My Foot match between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler, which Bret won. And in the final of the King of the Ring, Mabel defeated Savio Vega and is the new King of the Ring. In the main event, saw Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow beating Tatonka and Psycho Sid. Jeff, what do you think of this? You know, I, I, it's, <laughs> I, I, I like, I liked parts of it, and I think it's, if anything, more of an indictment over the the state of the roster and kind of how much room they, the WWF, has to grow to develop, you know, this next generation of names. Um, 
I don't think anyone in the history of pro wrestling has said, I want to watch Savio Vega wrestle four times in one night. <laughs> I don't care if you're a fan of his uh, TNT character down in Puerto Rico. I've seen a lot of his work, and I mean – that if if that's the baby face you want to put four times in a night, I mean WrestleMania four Savage wrestled four times a night. Um, I don't think we're ever going to talk about Savio Vega and Randy Savage in the same sentence again, other than that one you know uh, coinciding factor that they have. It's uh, I, I liked a lot of the finishes on the show, and as we go through the card, I'll I'll point them out. I think one of the most ingenious finishes. That is so rarely used was used tonight, and it was used to perfection. Uh, but we'll get into that when we get to that match. So, um, as we alluded to in the news, Bob, I think this is a show that's been been pretty well panned throughout the the audience that's watched this. I mean, Jeff was very positive about that. I think I would be failing to to try and match him for that. I mean, we'll come to it when we get through it, back match by match. But it was it's certainly not one for the for the history books, I would say. Yeah, this was a a real genuine struggle. Um, in terms of, it, it, it's a combination. It, like nothing was going for this show. I mean, it wasn't like battle ball levels of boring. Um, God, I'm, I'm going to try and praise this in the best way I can. It wasn't that bad in terms of there were more things going on. Um, but a series of decision making processes combined with. A lot of bad matches on paper that under-delivered. Um, this was shit. Um, I think is probably the best way I can describe it. It was it was it was an absolutely horrendous two-hour forty-minute show. Um, and yeah, we'll come to it. I, I think uh, I don't really want to go through a rant twice. Uh, we start um, as Dell said. Savio Vega defeats uh, IRS on the uh, pre-game show in the final qualifying match for the tournament. Uh, after Razor Ramon was uh, declared unfit to compete. Um, that wasn't related to the uh, three or four false starts they had on Raw in terms of trying to decide the uh, the, the final uh, entry into the tournament. There was a, a tie between Bulldog and Owen Hart, uh, which was actually taped in your house. Um, so neither of those guys went through. Uh, then we had Yokozuna and Lex, and that happened, and then Razor pulled out, so Savio Vega qualified. Um, and we, we start the show with Vince McMahon having the call with Doc Hendricks, and we open up with the first King of the Ring quarterfinal, Yokozuna with James E. Cornette versus Savio Vega with Razor Ramon. McMahon says, you must win in order to advance. Thanks very much, uh, Vince, although it, well, I suppose it, it, it does come in handy later. Uh, Yokozuna holds up a Japanese flag. Vega holds up a joint US-Puerto Rican flag. Savio Vega has SV drawn in the back of his, in his hair on the back of his head. We start the match. Savio Vega runs to a back elbow from Yokozuna, who goes to drop one on the map, but Vega moves. Hendrick says that if Yokozuna's announced weight is true, it now makes him the heaviest wrestler in WWF history. Vega misses a spin kick, uh, spinning back kick, but Yokozuna remains, regains control. We cut backstage and Owen Hart is on the phone. Yokozuna shakes for a bonsai drop, but Vega moves. Yoko locks in a nerve hold as the Philadelphia crowd start a USA chant. Vega fights up, uh, but upon running at Yokozuna, he gets thrown over the top rope. Yokozuna hits a body slam, then shakes for a leg drop, but Vega gets out of the way. The Philadelphia crowd fire up a large USA chant. Vega finally knocks Yokozuna off his feet at the fifth attempt with a spinning back kick. He then drops Cornette off the apron. Razor goes after Cornette. Owen Hart comes out after Razor. Savio comes out the ring. Yokozuna follows. The pair exchange blows on the outside and Vega wins by count out as Yokozuna slams the ring post and cannot make the count. Del. 
Um, start the show off to a flyer, eh? Um, I think you could probably sum this up best, Bob, as we pretty much missed the finish with a camera cut when it was still on the, the aisle way with the kind of drama between Owen and Razor. We end up missing what, well, almost missing what kind of counts out Yokozuna when he gets rammed into the, the steps. I mean, it just, it was a disappointing match. We've got Yoko, who at this size is really worrying. It's like, he's never been, kind of renowned for his pace in the ring but he's just a really worrying size at this minute we're starting off the show with him we're also starting off with Savio Vega who God love him we've seen in the pre-show was just in a match he's then qualified he's out first in the live show you've got guys in this that's qualified weeks before to get a place in this tournament and you're starting it off with these it's just not a good start to the show for me Jeff yeah you know it uh <laughs> You got Yokozuna in there, so you're limited at Jump Street. So you're going to start off your pay-per-view with Yoko and Savio. You have Owen Hart, but naturally you don't want to book him. Uh, it, was, it was snug. There was a little bit of fun. To be fair, Jeff, they would have booked Owen Hart, but he had a draw against um, the British Bulldog in your house last month. What are you going to do? You can't put him in now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Vince and Patterson are probably sitting backstage somewhere with their, you know, the big ledger trying to book their tournament, and Owen and Davey had to not be in it uh, because we had to fit Yoko and Savio. And I, I don't know if that's the best decision Vince McMahon's ever made. Uh, I, I, I thought the photo finish wasn't bad because, you know, Yoko, he's a, he's a big dude. And, you know, it, it would have been better if they hadn't done it a week or so or a couple weeks before with uh, the Luger match. I mean, that's the thing. When I'm watching a, a pay-per-view and I go, man, I'd have to see Lex Luger in this match. I think you're kind of in the wrong direction just to start the show. Um, I, I, I don't know what else I can say about this match. It's... No, um. At this stage in the game, Yokozuna looks to be far more out of shape than he was, you know, the last time we saw him at the end of November in 94. Um, and really, if you're going to put him in singles action, and one of the things I think we've, well, sort of praised them for in the last few months is kind of saying, well, look, Yokozuna's probably not in the greatest condition right now uh, to wrestle on his own, so we'll put him in a tag team with Owen Hart. I think if you're going to put Yokozuna in singles competition, you need a guy that can run off him. Um, and I don't think Salvio Vega's that guy. Admittedly, Vega's probably in the, in the right half of the roster, given how unathletic some of them are. Um, but yeah, like, uh, Dells, what you said, this was a bad match. I think it was a bad match going in. I don't actually think they, uh, they, they did all that much wrong. I just sure. think it was, I just think it was good. It, you put these two in a match, you get what you get, uh, and you got this. Um, and yeah. As I say, briefly, as I say, thankfully it wasn't all that long, um, but nothing to write home about. Uh, we cut backstage for a truly horrible image of Jerry Lawler's manky foot. Lawler is spraying some deodorant on it, trying to combat um, the apparent awful smell on his foot. We get to the second quarter final. It's the roadie with Jeff Jarrett against Bob Sparkplug Holly. Holly comes flying out the blocks, hitting a series of quick rights and a couple of quick pin attempts. They do a leapfrog. Holly runs over to the roadie and does an arm drag, followed by a second, then a body slam. Holly pops up for a hurricane runner, but Brody catches him and drops him into a powerbomb. That brings the pace of the match down significantly. Brody slams Holly across the ring into the turnbuckle, then a second time. Brody sets up for a power drive, but Holly flips out of it. He then bounces off the ropes and hits a head scissors. Holly then hits a power slam, but only gets a two. Brody shapes for a superplex, but Holly knocks him off the turnbuckle. Holly goes for a top rope splash, but the Brody gets a leg up and Holly eats it. 
Rody pins Holly, who kicks out at three, but Rody is adjudged to have won the match, and having watched the footage back, Holly did kick out before the three, but they don't show us a replay. Jeff. You know, this was, this, I love this finish. Oh my god, I, you know what, I've seen this match, I've watched this match about five times already. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it feels like a WCW Saturday Night main event in so many ways because, you know, they're both young, very talented athletes. Bob Holly has arguably one of the best drop kicks in wrestling. Um, here's the thing, how many times do you see Ric Flair go off the top rope and then he gets caught and he gets the, you know, the press slam off, he never hits the act, he never actually hits the move. And every time when someone puts the boot up when you're coming down and you eat the boot, it's the, it's the kick out of two. And for me, I, it felt like that, you know, Bob Holly's this, Bob Spark Plug Holly, this race car driver. Well, guess what? He crashed and burned, you know, and that's, for but, me. That, but he did kick out too. Well, I think that's more Bob Holly's fault than the actual booked finish. Yeah. Uh, because when I, I mean, when I see the, the, the heel puts the foot up and he just, you know, smashes right into it. And if you watch it, Holly bounces off and then smashes the back of his head on the canvas. I think that's a great, I think that's almost bar fight psychology where, you know, cause and effect. You come down, you get hurt, you're done. And I think the, the you know, I just, I think the roadie and Jarrett are a great tandem. Uh, they're one of the highlights for me to watch. I don't think Jarrett's a great singles guy. I think he works that soft Memphis style a little too much. I don't buy him. But as a tag team and watching them kind of bounce off each other, like, uh, you know, Brian, Brian Armstrong, he's, he's been in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He's done Saturday nights for WCW in the past. He's the roadie, of course. Him and Jared, I think, have some very good chemistry, and I like watching them bounce off each other. And and Holly's a, a, an okay hand. I think Holly's the example, you know, that we were talking about earlier. If he's the guy you're putting in your King of the Ring match, what are the stakes? Is, is anybody cheering? Is just because he's the babyface doesn't mean you're going to cheer him. Okay, and I, I I think that's where WWF really needs to develop, you know, the the, the roster as a on, on, especially on the babyface side. I think on the heel, they just they got a lot of middling lower car guys, and and Holly just uh, I don't know, but I, I like the finish. No, I kind of agree with Jeff on two solid points, Bob, and I just, I hated the finish just to kind of counteract that point. Um, th- what did you hate about the finish? I think it was just the lack of follow-up. I mean, it was just like, what, what was the story they were trying to tell there? I mean, well, you just got caught. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm starting with Jeff more in the sense that that's the kind of move that should finish more matches in the sense mm. that there's a lot of moves in wrestling that look like they're quite dangerous and they don't finish matches. And yet you'll have quote-unquote finishers that actually look a bit softer, but because they're the finisher, they end the match. Um... And it's the kind of situation, if you were coming down from a, a jump off a, a six-foot ledge and you theoretically hit your head on someone's fully extended leg before your feet touch the ground, that would knock you spark out, I would imagine. If it, oh, you get jaw-jacked, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in, in terms of it's an unorthodox move, but it's one I'd like to see more often. But go on, Yeah, it's just kind of the two points that Jeff said that I could not possibly agree with more. It's first of all, this pairing, uh, the road A, Brian Armstrong with Jarrett just works perfectly. I think it just, it's hard to kind of carry it off with having the road A in a singles match, but obviously with him being as quote unquote early in his career as he is coming off this kind of, being the former road A, Jeff Jarrett, nationwide country singer. 
you've got to kind of give him that that time in the ring to kind of build up with WWF crowds into who he is and what he does. There's a couple of nice bits in the match where he's got a really, really good sell when he's on the offence, giving an Irish whip. He's got a nice enough powerbomb. Um, kind of the finish again with Jeff, I'm totally with him with the actual move. I think it was just the, the, the kind of just balls up with Holly with a shoulder hang and then with it not getting carried through it just kind of killed it for me but it was it was kind of better than the first match so I think hopefully we'll maybe be coming on to some of it better yeah I'll uh, I'll hand Holly the mistake I don't think it was well I suppose kicking out full three is quite a significant error but it it wasn't one that I think anyone's going to remember um it was just a simple mistake um but no I'm with Jeff on the finish in terms of it's it's quite a it's it, it's not a finish we see that often. We perhaps should see it more. Not specifically that kind of thing, but just something where a guy just gets caught. Not anything where it's a setup or it's just a mistake or one moment. And that's the kind of thing I like to see more. And it was a clever finish. Um, and yeah, on the on the Jarrett and Rody pairing, I think what's quite good is that a lot of tag teams that you know you often find they're quite similar characters or they're portrayed as quite similar characters i don't get the sense that Rody and jarrett actually you brought them down are all that similar but i think it's a good pairing that they they contrast and complement each other um which works out well in, in, in this sense um in terms of the match itself yeah it was decent i mean it was probably one of the better two or three matches on the car which which says a lot uh without being remarkable but uh and, and also uh just a quick shout out to that powerbomb which i thought was very nice as well off the uh, off the catch off what would be hurricane rana um but we uh we move on to sean michaels cutting a promo backstage he says quote unquote being big doesn't make you good particularly when he hits them down with a little chin music we get to the third King of the Ring quarterfinal. It's Kama with Ted DiBiase versus Shawn Michaels. The two Undertaker fans are at ringside. They were featured on Raw, and you've heard about that in the TV report. Uh, they present Kama with a wreath, who then proceeds to dismantle it. Kama misses with a couple of strikes. Shawn connects with a couple of his own. Remember, Kama is a knockoff USC fighter. Michaels gets some more offense in, then returns to his corner and does some shadow striking. Michaels charges Kama, who goes uh, at, to throw him over the top rope. Sean does his Royal Rumble spot, returns to the ring, then throws Kama over the top. This whips up the crowd. Soon after, Kama returns to the favour, enabling DBRC to get something in on Michaels. Kama picks up Michaels, then drives his back into the ring post. He then drives Michaels into the turnbuckle as he takes complete control of the match. Kama picks up Michaels on his shoulders for a submission. Michael manages to flip out of it onto onto his feet and counter with a back body drop. Kama slings Michaels into the corner. Michaels does his own version of the Ric Flair flip. Michaels just makes it back into the ring before being counted out. He ducks a charge in the corner, does a spring back elbow out, and both uh, both of them hit the mat. The clock comes on the screen, and it's two and a half minutes left, which is a you know, a clear sign of what's to follow. Uh, Michaels finally starts his fight back, unloading a series of rights. He goes to the top and does a double axe handle. Sean goes for another crossbody out of the corner, but Cameron counters, and then nearly gets a pin of his own. As the clock kicks down, Michaels goes for a sunset flip, but Kama holds on for long enough, and the time expires before the pin can be completed. The ring announcer calls this a double draw, (laughs) whatever that means, uh, and says that neither man will progress in the tournament. Michaels mouths bullshit. He then hits Kama with a switching music super kick, and quite why he didn't attempt that during the match, I've got no idea. Del. It's a double draw. Um, it was it was honestly match of the night for me, and I think the 
the kind of annoying bit of it was, you know, 20, 25 minutes into this show already, we knew it was going to be match of the night. I, I, I just love Sean Michaels. And he's selling is terrific. I'm glad they've got him back in this kind of babyface role where it really kind of plays up to the crowd being sympathetic for him. The spot in the middle with that um, backstretcher for camera that you'd spoke about where Sean reverses it in the corner was beautifully done. He even done that flare flip in the corner, as you said, and I thought he actually done it even better than Nates does it at these days. Um, the WWF don't really use this time limit draw as a finish, which to a lot of the people watching it that maybe don't watch what's going on in Atlanta would have been pretty innovative for them. And I thought they'd carried it off brilliantly. They timed it amazingly at the end. The only question that I've got, particularly you, Bob, is how good would Shawn Michaels be if he wasn't clearly at his face on cocaine or whatever the hell he's on? Because he's amazing as it is. And you can just see in his eyes that he is out of his face and he's still probably the best worker in this company right now. Oh, well, there is the flip side, which is, is it enhancing his act? Um, not, not that I'm, uh, not that I'm well, going to, not that I'm going to say on the record, I think he's on anything. Uh, that's, that's not for me to say. Allegedly, should we say. Allegedly. Yes. Um, but yes, no, that, that there is a, there is a certain flip side of that argument, which is it actually might make him better. Uh, Jeff. Well, you know, in hindsight, when you, when you're done the pay-per-view and you, you see who wins the King of the Ring, I think you end up going, maybe it looks like somebody didn't want to do a job tonight. Uh, the, who does the draw benefit? Who does the draw, you know, karma's in a feud it, with... It benefits it, Mabel not wrestling three times, which 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 means indirectly it benefits every single one of us watching the show. True, but, you know, you've got Savio Vega wrestling four times and Shawn Michaels wrestling for 15 minutes to a draw. The guy he's working with is working with Taker. So, you know, if you... I don't know, I think... And, and, and Mabel's going to be going up against who? Who Diesel? So you know maybe a win over Michaels, even if it's a if it's a screw finish. I I just think the draw is is kind of a, a curious finish to put someone in, especially someone of Shawn Michaels' talents. I think you'd want to use him as many times a night as possible, especially when Savio Vega is is given you know that slot. Um, you know the one thing I, I really actually and it's it's a little detail, but I it totally changes Michaels for me. If you notice, he's got this like scruffy beard stubble on his face now. And for me, he's a baby face and he has that kind of stripper gimmick that for me doesn't really get over. He's too much of a pretty boy and he's got that natural arrogance and cocky grin. So he can never be the white meat baby face like Ricky Steamboat. And there's that, that stubble kind of makes him look a little tougher and it kind of, it, it kind of relates him more to like the manly guy, tough guy type role. But, uh, you know, the match was the match. Hey, look, Shawn Michaels is incredible in the ring. Uh, Kama is, is, you know, he's working with, he's a big guy, he's got a great look. Um, I just think if you're gonna have Shawn Michaels in a match, why don't you put him in there to wrestle four times instead of Savio Vega? Um, I don't know. I just think if, if I have Shawn Michaels and he's wrestling to a draw, I don't know, I just, I think you want Taker to look as good as possible. I think you want the guy who's going up against the world champion to look as good as possible. And uh, tonight, Shawn Michaels, I don't know if he made uh, anybody look good except Shawn Michaels. And Kama, I mean, just by proxy. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where if I've got Shawn Michaels, I only put them in this kind of tournament if I'm going to have him win it. Um, because otherwise, I'm not sure who it benefits if he doesn't. 
Um, I don't know how well, I don't know whether Sean could even get a good match out of Mabel, I suppose he might have done. Um, although yes, you, you, you both do raise some, some very, very good points about that. The match itself was pretty good. Um, but certainly relative to the, the, the rest of the stuff we saw on the show, the action was smooth. Um, it was a little bit, you know, as I say, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a great Shawn Michaels match in the sense that he spent most of the act, match on defense. Um, but you know, that kind of comes with the territory. Um, and yes, we get the thing with, you know, the, the, the tournament draw. So we have to flash the time on the screen and we never do it any other time, which is a bit annoying once you spot it. Um, and yeah, as, as I said, Dale, why didn't he just, why, why didn't he at least try with the sweet chin music? You want to know what annoyed me even more? What's that? They announced 60 seconds of this match remain, and he does a 10 punch spot in the corner. He takes up 10 seconds of the last 60 for no reason, and then just nails a, nails a kick to the jaw after the match. It's, I don't know. Yeah, all, all a bit odd. Um, yeah. To be, I, fair, I, to, be fair, to be fair to Kama, he is the supreme fighting machine and he is a martial artist. So maybe he was, pre- you know, he could predict that super kick. And when the match was finished, his guard was down. He thought, hey, look, the bell was rung. And I think Shawn Mike, maybe that's a sucker punch from Shawn Michaels or a sucker kick. Cause I don't think Kama was expecting it. So maybe that's why he could do it so easily. Man, you're giving them way too much credit. Um, I, this is a, this think, is a company that just produced this show. Like they're not getting credit for that level of creativity. Given if Jack Dawn was, was on the take with that three count with Bob Pauly, Jeff Parker is on the take for being WWF. I'll say this: if I'm on the take with one person, it's the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Because <laughs> over, the, over the past ten years, no one in planet Earth has been a, a more professional, exceptional technical wrestler, psychologist, promo. He, from Mid-South to the Million Dollar Man, he is a wonderful talent. And if you have him there ringside, I guarantee you he's giving Kama the best advice. And, uh, for this match, uh, I, I'll, I'll give, I'll give anybody, anybody associated with Teddy Biazzi the benefit of the doubt. Club up guy, Jeff. <laughs> all right. All right. And we cut back to a promo of Bob Ackland. He's out in Philadelphia campaigning for his presidential run. And we move on to the final King of the Ring quarterfinal. It's Mabel with Mo uh, versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. The pair square off. There isn't much difference in height between them. Undertaker starts off trying to take Mabel off his feet, which he eventually does, before quickly going for the top for an old school. Mabel drives Undertaker into the mat, but Taker sits up. Mabel knocks Taker through the ropes and gets his leg trapped. Mabel gets Taker back in the ring and hits a belly-to-belly suplex or essentially sitting on the Undertaker and going for a submission. The crowd chant started loud, rest in peace chant. On the outside, Mabel drives Undertaker's head into the ring steps. Mabel hits a big suplex and almost gets a three. Mabel then essentially sits on Undertaker for a pin and somehow that doesn't finish it. Mabel charges Taker in the corner, but he gets a leg up then takes Mabel off his feet with a clothesline. Mabel comes off the far ropes and hits a pile driver but only gets a two. Taker then does a shoulder tackle, which takes both men down. Taker does his sit-up spot, but probably goes a bit late as Mabel catches him with an elbow drop anyway. Mabel whips Taker into the official in the corner. Taker does a fine clothesline, then signals to the end. It's a surprisingly decent chokeslam. Goes for a pin, but Carl runs out, kicks Taker in the head. Mabel then gets up surprisingly quickly, drops a leg, and that's enough to win the match. Karma gets all cocky, but the Undertaker is off after him up the aisleway. Dell. Um, I, I don't know whether Mabel has got an eye on seeing himself as progressing to the final of this tournament, Bob, or 
if he's maybe just had one too many, Bob Backlund's Philadelphia Steeze Cheeks. Um, Steeze Cheeks? Did you know hear Bob, uh, did you know hear Bob Backlund in the, the pre-tape before it talking about his Steeze Cheeks instead of cheese steaks or whatever it, it, it's, possi- it's possible read very likely i zoned out during that segment well as you know bob i, I never it, it, very similar very similar to the circumstances in which you described Shawn michaels earlier let's let's not let's not dwell on that any further well i suppose that's me just tuning in overly much to mr back on vote back on by the way um i don't know whether it's just can i'm able to see any sellers advanced or not but that was the laziest effort at a camel clutch i have ever seen and i would never in a month this undies take that move where i'm sitting on is um i didn't think it was a camel clutch i thought it was a back submission on the base that you were sat on the base of my spine oh i don't don't know what he was trying but there's no chance i would be taking it whatever it was god love the undertaker for being able to stand after that um really slow match we've we've spoke about this before bob with undertaker opponents it's as if they're kind of determined to to just kill him at this point, if he's not dead already, the the entrance is as good as anything as you're going to see in the business these days. He comes out, he gets the crowd going, it's an absolute spectacle, and then he just gets lumbered with these these matches. And Mabel did not do him any favours at all. I mean, coming into it, I actually quite like Mabel since this kind of bad guy turn and the full attitude that he's got, and for such a young age, been able to kind of go for the kind of reasonable reactions that he was getting, and now being this bad guy. I, I don't mind them, but this was just a really, really slow, just monotonous match, and it's over, and you can't really say anything else than that. Jeff? Well, I made note here to say that the All Japan heavyweights do not have anything to worry about. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I love Taker. I think, you know, when you see the athleticism of him in, during that uh, flying clothesline, and of course, you know, when he's walking the top rope uh, that he learned from the spoiler, Don Jardine, his trainer, uh, you know, he, he's got so much to give, and the entrance and the gimmick and everything. And then you put him in there with a guy who, you know, I mean, whether it's Yoko or Bundy or now Mabel, they're not, I mean, they're not going to get the best at a taker. He did well with what he had to work with. I did like Mabel's finishing leg drop. I, I actually, again, put an asterisk and said, better than Hogan's. Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess the same could be said for Yoko is because just the, the mere girth of these individuals, if it actually landed on you, it would, it would just, you know, that's a finisher. Um, I, I don't like watching Mabel wrestle. I like watching Taker wrestle when he gets, you know, like the match he had with Jarrett. Like, you know, Jarrett was a Super Bowl around him. That's that's great. I think I think Taker has, and I, I reference those All Japan guys, uh, like, you know, a Hanson or a Doc or a Gordy or any of those guys. I mean, you know, a super heavyweight who can go, that's Taker. He just needs a better dance partner. And, you know, the one thing that this, this whole King of the Ring pay-per-view had going for it, I mean – is that, you know, there was a chance that we could have got Shawn Michaels and Taker if, had they, had Shawn not gone to a draw and had Taker not lost, that would have been maybe something really cool we could have seen on a pay-per-view that I would have paid to see that. Um, Rhodey and Savio Vega and Mabel and Bob Holly, not so much. But, uh, you know, props to Taker for not just dragging ass, because he could have. Yeah, I mean, whenever you, have a guy the size of the undertaker as the agile one in a pairing on a match it's not a good thing um 
And this match was quite painful to watch, really, in terms of Undertaker was trying. But the weird thing is, is that a guy of his size is, for a guy of his size, he's actually, I think, quite athletic. But the character they've got him playing, it doesn't really make sense to even try and accentuate those those attributes in a way it might make sense for a Bam Bam Bigelow or a Vader who are big guys for a different reason. Part of the Undertaker character is that he is quite slow and quite methodical. And, you know, he'll he'll take the punishment and then he'll sit up, then he'll do his, his signature spots. He's got the aerial stuff he does. You know, he's got the flying clothes on, which is quite impressive. Um, but that's kind of the makeup of, of his character in terms of his in-ring performance. And up against the Mabel, it just doesn't work. Um, it just doesn't translate in terms of Mabel's not good enough to even play a role of a guy of his size. It's not like Mabel's playing a very good big man role, I don't think. Um, and yeah, it just didn't work. Um, it was Dell's right. The 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 camel clutch, if you want to call it that. Like, I, I felt bad for Undertaker, not in a all oh, that hurts, more in a. What 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 what, you, what bet did you lose to take this move? You know what I mean. <laughs> um, and then there's a bit later on where Mabel sits on him, and I like we're talking earlier on about things in wrestling that should end matches. If a guy of Mabel's size sits on your chest, I'm inclined to think that should be game over because I don't know how you're supposed to kick up from kick out from that. Um, all right, Undertaker just about managed it, um, but yeah, the the, the match was. Too slow, expectedly slow. You know, some of the some of the bigger moves, the belly to belly suplex wasn't all that horrendous. Um, but yeah, just a really painful long match. Dell, anything more to add? I think the only thing I would slightly disagree with you, Bob, is I think we need to. I think we need to stick out this Undertaker thing because if you look back to ninety one, ninety two Taker, it was a lot more. This is just a dead guy made of stone that is going to beat his way into winning a match. I think this evolution that we're starting to see you take here from kind of 94, 95, I think there's something special here. I just wish to God they would give him more to work with, and I think we could be seeing some terrific matches out of him in the near future. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the, we go back to the Jarrett run on Raw last month. Um, yeah. As Jeff alluded to, that was a... That was a, a, a very encouraging match in a number of factors in the sense that we had Undertaker being able to play the big guy and let the smaller, more athletic guy bounce off him. And it was pretty entertaining because it, it, it fit into, it, 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 yeah, we talked about Diesel being the big guy taking a lot of punishment as a baby face. Undertaker thing, it kind of works just because they built the character to be believable where he will almost absorb a lot of punishment and then just time a comeback. So it's not, and you know, plus when you're playing a kind of mythical supernatural type character, character you can get away with a bit more wrestling you know lack of logic in terms of we just got his ass kicked for 13 minutes and then came back in the last 75 seconds mm. um so it, it would make more sense but yeah it, it, it's just you know we're just talking about you know vincent pat patterson having their ledger this just isn't the pairing to put together um if you're going to push mabel I would put Mabel against smaller opponents. And if you're going to push Undertaker, I would put Undertaker against smaller opponents. I don't think it works them being together because I think they're both caught, caught in a trap of, what role am I playing here? Um, uh, uh, and that, that came across with this match. It, it wasn't good. Um, but ultimately, Mabel won. Um, fortunately, you know, I was you know kind of dreading thinking, well, if they're going to give, if they're going to let Mabel do it, it might have been a clean victory. Thankfully, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, Jeff, anything more on this? 
Thank God it's over. Yes. <laughs> well said. <laughs> and not in the good sense. No, uh, we move on. Uh, we cut the footage of the WWF Hall of Fame induction. Uh, we get to see Undertaker in a suit. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, that we see plenty of other current WWF performers and we see the inductees, only Lad, Fabulous Moolah, Ivan Putski, Pedro Morales, Ernie Roth, Antonina Rocca and George the Animal Steel. Uh, we move on next and we're straight into the King of the Rings semi-final, the singular semi-final. Mabel, of course, advances straight to the final as, uh, uh, as Shawn Michaels and Cameron's draw was in his, his half of the draw. Um, it's Savio Vega with Razor Ramon versus the Brody with Jeff Jarrett. The match starts out at a pace. Vega throws Brody to the outside and Brody hits his head. Jarrett is coaching him at ringside. Brody takes control in the ring, dropping a headbutt from the second rope, but can only get a two. He then goes for a second, but Vega moves out of the way. Vega hits a body slam for a two, hits a big boot for a two. Jarrett gets involved on the floor, then gets on the apron. Vega Iris switch Brody into Jarrett and then gets a roll-up off the distraction and wins the match. Del? My lateral notes for last match, Bob and Tail. Savio Vega looks a wee bit like Will Smith. That was literally all the notes I had for this match. I don't even think he looks like Will Smith. Such was the match, that was what I was drawing eh? A wee bit yeah. chubby maybe, but a bit like him. Jeff, Jeff any input on the look alike? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know about the Will Smith comparison. I think he looks like a mid-carter, uh, <laughs> more than anything. Uh you know, this, I, this, just for keeping score, this is the third match Xavier Vega wrestled tonight. And I, I don't get the sense there was a single person in that arena that was like, yes, we've got Xavier Vega for match three. And bear in mind, he's got one more to come. And the worst bit was in the middle of the match when he yells, come on, to the crowd. And it's just, it, it was just tumbleweed, man. The crowd goes miles. Jeff yeah. Hale. I, I think when you look at, like, I'm watching this, and you kind of can draw some conclusions, like, okay, Mabel's Mabel's in the final, he's a heel, so chances are they're not going to book heel versus heel. But when a part of you wants the roadie to be in the WWF King of the Ring finals against another heel, I think you're in the wrong direction. Um, I was like, yeah, you know what, let's just, I'm just going to root for the bad guy, hope he wins, and somehow we get a heel versus heel with, with, with Mo and Jeff Jarrett also being heels on the outside, and it'll just be a big schmoz for the, for the, for the final, because I just, Savio Vega, I was exhausted by this point. I, I could not, and like, he's, he's waving the flag, and it's the, it's just the whole, it's not, it didn't work, he's not over enough, uh, Rody looks. Rody, I think, comes out looking like you know maybe not the MVP, but but because uh, Shawn Michaels is, is tremendous. But Rody has a really good showing tonight. Uh, far better than he really had any opportunity to, to be. He worked Bob Holly and Savio Vega, and I think he look. I think he did the you know he made chicken salad a chicken. You know what? So and he's I just said, funny. I said shit on this show, Dell. You're uh, Jeff. You're all right. <laughs> Go on, Del. And he's just funny. The road, the road is just, he knows who he is, he knows what he's done, he knows he's not going to be in the final of this. He makes the most out of what he's got, as Jeff says, and I just loved him. Yeah, I, I think his, his MO is, I'm going to play this character without any inhibitions. And often that's the best way to play a character, when you're just like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give it 100%, I don't really care. Um, not saying he doesn't, but in terms of I don't care about making a fool out of myself. Uh, and it works. The match wasn't particularly very long, you can probably tell that from, from my match review, and I guess that kind of makes sense, given that um, you know this was Vegas' third match of the night, and he's got to do a... Well, almost a marathon main event with uh, with Mabel coming up. It felt like it. Um, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I mean, Jeff, Jeff Wright in terms of this, there's so many other guys that should have been in in, in this set. The, the, the final four of the King of the Ring was by Mabel, Vega, and Rhodey. And by was probably most over. Yes. <laughs> what, what what a depressing four. What a... Oh, I don't know. When, when you think about all the guys that could have been in this tournament, you think about all the guys that didn't qualify for this tournament. Owen Hart, Bulldog, Lex Luger, Razor Ramon, or I probably would have been in it. Um, and I suspect had Razor Ramon been past fit, it might have been him going, well, he, he wouldn't have had to have qualified again, but I think Ramon may have done quarterfinal, semi-final, uh, final, and would have lost to Mabel. I suspect that would have been his role. Um, but equally, if Razor can't be in the tournament, you don't replace Razor and run the same play. I think you, you could do it with Kid. You could do it with Kid. You could do you could do it with Kid, but I don't think Kid was fit either. Because um, last last year, you know, he he's you know he had that great match with Owen in the tournament. And providing you forget also <laughs> psychology, you're still yeah. battling about that twelve months on oh, Bob. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go on, Jeff. Well, no, I just, I think, I think if, if you look down the, the babyface roster, I think Razor would have been a perfect, obviously, but I mean, you know, circumstances put that out of the question. Uh, Savio Vega, oh man, that's just. If Savio Vega is your substitute, you change the play, surely. Absolutely. You take, well, I mean, I think, I mean, Luger, for all of the unmitigated disaster as a babyface he's been, is still Lex Luger. He's got a million dollar look. They're in Philadelphia, so they're familiar with him. Savio Vegas had what? Like a cup of coffee in the WWF? Yeah, I mean, even Davy Boy, as muscled up as he is, and I'm not putting Luger over as any working, you know, he's not Luthez. But I think you put Davy or Luger in that spot if you're not going to pivot and rebook. I mean, at least those guys are pseudo over. I mean, I think Luger's more over than Savio, at least. Yes, the, 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 this this whole show is a lesser of two evils debate. It, it's which option is less crap, um, uh, uh, and they seem to even get that wrong, which, which is quite impressive. Um, I want to I want to do something slightly out of the ordinary. Um, Dale, what are your thoughts on this show as a whole so far? Because I kind of want to see like where where we're at at this point. So far, Shawn Michaels and Karma aside, I've not got one match over a 4 out of 10. And I think they might be mostly 2s and 3s, to be quite. I think the most frustrating thing, as we've just spoke about there, you've got a Luger, you've got a Bulldog, you've got a Kid, you've got a Razor. Even getting into the kind of the bad guy side, you've got an Owen, you've got Hakushi, you've got Jarrett. This could actually be a decent bracket. But oh man, oh man, I mean, just, look, it's, I don't know, I think it's just, as you say, the lesser of two evils in every option that we've been hurt with, whether it's Taker going out, Sean getting that draw, double draw, should I say, it's just every option that we seem to have, I mean, law of averages, the next one's going to be good, this is going to work out well, it never did. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, if you were picking eight, you'd either pick people that were over or people that were good. And about six of the guys in, in the bracket didn't fit either of those categories. And, and that's, the two that's the that did are in 15 minutes for Sean and what, eight, nine minutes for Taker? Yeah, well, I'd add Yokozuna in that as well. Um, well not, not, not that he should necessarily be in this kind of singles format anymore. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, dip- and as you say, if you, if you'd have picked the right guys, you'd have had Hakushi, Owen Hart, 
maybe the one, two, three kid. I don't know what his injury status is. Uh, Luger, Bulldog. You know, we're, we're putting together here a half decent tournament with guys that are at least over. But that's 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 the real kicker at this stage in the show, and it, it's the real kicker as we get further into the show, is that you've got a roster of eight. And most of them just aren't over. And that's, that's really where we're at. Jeff, your, your thoughts on, on this show so far? Uh, like I said, I, I walk away from this first part going, Rody is the, Rody is the guy that stands out. And, and, and Rody and Jarrett as an act. Uh, and, and the one, one kind of point of contention, kind of funny thing is, how bad do you have to be from the guys who were part of the 16, you know, competitors to try to get into the king of the ring like if you're adam bomb right now that's really got a sting you know <laughs> like or, or duke uh, the dumpster druzy although he, uh, he he would probably be in that list i would, I would suspect yeah, it was and mantar <laughs> yeah man yeah, mountain so, rock could have saved us irs technically is in the 16 yeah it's a, it's a tale of woe really lex luger if you're let imagine if you're lex luger the, the guy who 18 months ago had, the, in theory, the world at his feet, the guy who just o- under over a year ago was sort of a WrestleMania headliner. Ironically, Can- the man who would be King Bob. Yes. Can't get into this tournament. <laughs> that that's harrowing. I mean, we we talk about the booking, but we'll get on with the show in a minute. Talk about the booking. The weird thing was was that if you look at the tournament and if you look at the qualifying matches, lest we not forget, Undertaker and Jeff Jarrett was a qualifying match. By far, the best matches of this tournament were actually the qualifying matches in terms of star power and entertainment value. Undertaker and Jarrett, we got Yokozuna and Luger, we got Bulldog and Owen Hart. Admittedly, that that never that didn't play into the uh, the bracket because obviously that was a, a draw. We got the three best matches of this tournament didn't even happen on the show. That is probably the best way I can explain where this thing went wrong. But we, we'll move on. Uh, we, we move on to, ironically, probably one of the most entertaining parts of the show. Uh, Vega comes to ringside and does an interview with, uh, Carlos Cabrera in Spanish. Uh, and we get Doc Hendricks providing some reasonably entertaining translations. <laughs> I feel so fortunate. The Mabel's just going to wipe the ring with me. I'm going to quit stealing the hubcaps. Carlos told me might as well go and give it up now. He said he's contemplating that. I think we've had enough of this. Uh, at least enough of that translation. Now, this was pretty funny. It was, as you say, a highlight of a somewhat lacklustre show. And I mean, so far in the show, Doc Hendricks, I'm not a fan. Michael Hayes, I love. But Doc Hendricks and this current guy he just wasn't doing it for me. And I think it just kind of brought us a bit of comic relief, which was sorely, sorely needed. I mean, I've got to question the logic of trying to get a kind of a North American crowd to get over a somewhat unknown 
babyface by talking with it's essentially a foreign language to an arena full of people who don't understand what he's saying. But as you say, the Doc Hendricks thing just got a bit of stick. It kind of gave us a bit of, ah, it's not that bad. We're not meant to be taking it that seriously, which on paper you would maybe question the prospect of that. But as you say, it just brought a bit of light relief to something that was sorely, sorely needed it. And, and and to fill in, obviously, well, we did just play the clip, but to fill in the bit you can't see is that at one point Hendrix stops because Razor kind of looks at gives him a glare, <laughs> and then Hendrix kind of backs off for a second and then just carries on. Jeff, this was this was quite good. It was something, uh, you know, having seen Michael Pierce Hayes Freebird baby doing uh commentary during the old UWF Mid-South days, uh, commentary, uh, commentating with Jim Ross. He's awesome as the color commentator, okay? Uh, Doc Hendricks feels like the kind of character who thinks he's funnier than he is. Uh, I didn't think this was in particularly funny. Uh, but then again, I, I think if you want to get some sort of heel heat on a baby face, you got to care about the baby face. I didn't really care about Savio. Uh, though the, the double take with Razor was cool. I, you know, I could have well, gone on, to the on a better show. This wouldn't have stood out quite as much as it did. I, I think exactly. That's probably a, oh, a, a fair assessment. Uh, anyway, we get a video package that essentially takes us through, uh, the two years that have really been the storyline between Bret Hart and, uh, and Jerry Lawler. Uh, then we get a promo from Bret Hart himself. You know, it's just a short time away before I step in the ring with Jerry the Slimeball Lawler. You know, unfortunately, I've had this history with Jerry Lawler. It seems like he's been a constant thorn in my side. And I almost look forward to seeing it all come to an end tonight. I mean, I hate to say that I've been training really hard for this thing, but I have. I don't want to make any mistakes. I don't want to make a mistake like the last time. You know, I guess i got to prepare myself for possibility of somebody interfering. You know, Jerry Lawler's always got some kind of trick up his sleeve. But I'm prepared, I think, mentally and physically to handle anything he can throw at me. But most of all, when I think of all the humiliation that I've gone through, my family's gone through, the things he said about my mother, my father, and, you know, even the fans, to to have made the fans go through, to actually have to subject them to Jerry Lawler beating me with the help of Hakushi, of course, you know, I find that I let my fans down, that I failed them somewhere. That's why I found myself accepting on any terms, any conditions, this match in particular. But I can say one thing with total 100% confidence, that when this match is done, Jerry Lawler, that slime, that scum, that lower than, well, he will, in fact, kiss my feet. You know, I'm actually not too thrilled about his dirty, slimy lips being on my feet. But all I need is a little redemption here, and that's what I'm going to get. Jerry Lawler... In a few hours from now, I'm going to rip you apart. And we move on to the Kiss My Foot match. It's Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler. Bret goes on the offense quickly, driving Lawler's head off the guardrail and breaking his eye on the rope. The action spills to the outside and Lawler drives Bret's head into the ring steps. Lawler is trying to win by count out but gets upset by a loud Burger King chant. Lawler hits a pile driver in the ring but doesn't go for a cover. He then goes for a second, signals two to the crowd but doesn't go for the pin. He hits a third, and somehow Brett kicks out. Brett rallies in the corner, but uh, but Lawler breaks the eye and dumps Brett to the outside. Lawler then takes his boot off, and credit where credit's due, his sock does look horrendous. Lawler even manages to get a strike in with Lawler's boot. 
with Doug Boot, obviously. Uh, Lawler tries to put his foot in Brett's face, but Brett catches him and headbutts Lawler in the crotch. Lawler recovers and drops a fist from the second rope. The action spills to the outside, and out comes Shinja and Akushi. Akushi shapes to hit Brett, but he ducks, and Akushi nails Lawler, which gets a big pop. Back in the ring, Brett hits a backbreaker, then goes for a second rope elbow drop. Brett shakes for the sharpshooter, and the crowd are going berserk as Lawler submits. Hart holds in the submission for a few seconds after the bell, but releases it before the ref can disqualify him. After the match, Brett removes his right boot. Out comes Akushi and Shinja again. Shinja goes for a springboard, sh- uh, sorry, Akushi goes for a springboard shoulder tackle, but Brett ducks again and Lawler gets laid out. Brett then buries his foot into Lawler's mouth. Brett then makes Lawler kiss his own foot. Del. Hypothetically speaking, Bob, Randy Savage is still with the WWF, right? right. Former wrestler, past his peak on the commentary desk. He wants to be in the ring. He's seen Jerry Lawler in this match. Ironically, as it is, 12 months ago, we see a main event with Roddy Piper. You can see why he left. I mean, Jerry Lawler, Angs, he's just, in his day, he was as good a heel and, ironically, a babyface as you're going to get in Memphis. He's got a place. This just isn't it for me. And, I mean, the, the bit in the middle when you correctly pointed it out with the three pile drivers, you just don't do that. I mean, God love him, he tried his best, he wasted as much time as humanly possible to try and kind of sell the believability still in that move, but you just don't do it. You don't hit a move like that, particularly three times, and then have the baby face run out. And I mean, the bit with the boot as well, but it's like the referee must see that. And if he doesn't see it, and it can at least smell the foot of Jerry Lawler and put two and two together, but I don't know, it's just... And then with the run in at the end, and uh, it wasn't going to be a classic coming into it, but they certainly didn't do themselves any favours for me. Jeff? Bret Hart is my favourite wrestler, all right? And for two years, we've seen this build-up. Bret wants Lawler bad. You're in a serious wrestling town like Philly, and we get a Memphis and... That's in a derogatory way. It was a too much of a Memphis-type match. Why the hell, after two years putting down Brett's family, all of the all of the turmoil and strife that's, uh, that Brett's gone through with his brother Owen and all this stuff, and he wants him to kiss his foot. This is a waste of a Bret Hart match, just like WrestleMania against Backlund and that stupid gimmick I quit match, where Backlund doesn't even say I quit. It's a waste of the best technical wrestler in the world. Three pile drivers was stupid, okay? Uh, Bret Hart is pound for pound the best ring psychologist of the modern era, in my opinion, and that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, and I, I think when you put him in a Memphis-style match with Lawler, who who's, you know, middle-aged, kind of chubby, kind of, you know, he, he yeah, he's a god in Memphis, they Jeff, Jeff, Memphis. elaborate what you mean by Memphis-style match. You're alluding to it, but be a bit more explicit. All right, so so Memphis-style is a lot more gimmicky, a lot more hokey, a lot more uh, leeway, a little more cartoonish, a little more like the gimmicks would be loser eats a can of dog food or loser has to have their head shaved or all of these different various gimmicks. And it, you know, Lawler being the anchor of the territory for so long, even after Vince destroys every other promotion, Lawler's still standing there because he was so strong in that area. And they would bring in, 
you know, it was it was kind of a precursor to ECW in a way where it was the land of the misfits, and you'd had guys like Austin Idol and and uh, you know Bill Dundee, and it was all kind of um uh you know a mix and match part of you know just all types of gimmicks and silly stuff and fireballs and and you know I think when you put that type of thing in with, into somebody so serious as Brett, it it just feels fake and. uh I mean, for me, if I'm Bret Hart, I want him in a cage. I want to make sure I can beat this guy from pillar to post. I don't want him to kiss my foot. And it just it just contradicts that hitman character too much for me. And as a Canadian, for a Canadian icon like Bret Hart, I think this this is a waste of Bret's time. Yeah, to, to kayfabe the stipulation and, and to allude back to what we would have covered in the, the TV report... Obviously, Brett having lost the previous match was in a power negative situation when it came to deciding the stipulation. Lawler as the heel base said, look, I've got, I've got, I've got nothing to, I've got nothing to, I don't, I don't need to do anything. I beat you. I don't need to go in the ring with you again. And Brett said, look, give, I'll give you whatever stipulation you want. So purely from a storyline standpoint, the idea of a kiss my foot match kind of made sense. And we had all the, uh, we had all the build up with, with Lawler with his monkey foot. And I did love the thing. I, I didn't mention it, um, in the bit right before the match. There's a segment right as Lawler's walking out, uh, where Stephanie Wine tries to interview him. And there is the idea that Lawler's foot smells so bad that you could, that there's like this force field of smell around Lawler. Uh, wherever he is, which I thought was quite good. Um, so the actual, if you want to look at it from a storyline standpoint, it, it, it kind of fits. That being said, it didn't fit the seriousness that this feud should have ended with. I, I don't get the sense. It was kind of almost, and, and, and Jeff, I, I, I'll latch onto your point in a different way. It was kind of, I, I get the sense that people would have looked at that and kind of gone, well, this is a bit of a joke. This isn't the, the, the big blow-off stipulation I'm expecting. And dare I say, it kind of feels like the next chapter, maybe it will be, but really this should have been the end. And, Dell, there was no drama. That was the really weird thing. There was no drama in this match, and it really felt like there should have been. Other than right at the end, and we want to talk about that this match could have worked in a different way. The crowd went nuts when, when Hart locked in that sharpshooter. I think it's just that... It- it perfectly encapsulates WWF in 1995. Me and you, Bob, do a lot of stuff. Jeff even spoke about it there, where it was a precursor to ECW back in Memphis in the day. ECW is where it's at for a future of wrestling. ECW is focused on 95 going towards the year 2000 and beyond. WWF at this point is 1995 going into 1985 and a, almost circus-like. I mean, you could be forgiven for thinking P.T. Barnum is the promoter of this territory at this time. And it's just, the, the most worrying aspect of this, as you say, the crowd went wild for it at the end, and it's almost like you you just want to grab the arena and shake it, where it's like, no, this isn't, this isn't where we should be at this point in time. And it's, I don't know, I, 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 weep, for, I weep for where we're going this year in WWF, I really do. Yeah, and, and again, I don't get the sense anyone was all that interested in seeing Lawler kiss Brett's foot, and that was kind of part of the problem. While the story, while the stipulation made sense, it didn't help deliver the kind of vibe that they wanted for this match. This should have been 
you know, not that you'd have done it, but this almost should have been a loser lose town type thing. That would have mm. been a, that would have been, a, had a much bigger fight feel to it or something similarly significant where it felt like, okay, this is the final match and it means something. This, by calling it a kiss my foot match, you essentially said, yeah, it's comedy. And then, and then just right. We essentially had a kind of a comedy match. I mean, I, I, I don't think that the three pile drivers thing, you know, I, I could elaborate on that and quite rightly rinse it for the, the big mistake it was. I'm not going to dwell on it because you guys both made the point, but that was a really bizarre thing as well. Like you know, it comes back to what I said about, you know, ECW matches before is that why isn't that finishing a match? Like why, why, why didn't, why didn't that do it? Three pile drivers? I mean, really? That didn't do it. That, that, that doesn't, again, that kind of, that takes me out of the moment. That takes me out of the moment of this match. And it's another, it's another disappointing Bret Hart stipulation match. You know, Jeff, Jeff alluded to the Backlund one. That's two, two in two now, really. Yep. And you look at the one in the middle, the one against Hakushi, which was just a straight up match. Dare I say it, a match with nothing really on it. And that was far more entertaining. And, Excellent. you know, all right. Yep. Hakushi is a, a far better worker than Lawler or Backlund, so part of that you'd expect. But it's kind of like they're undercutting themselves with Bret Hart right now, and it's kind of the story of the pay-per-view. You're making bad decisions, and then the matches aren't delivering, and it, it's kind of having a double whammy effect. Well, we, at this point where we are, Bob, it's almost as if pro wrestling is in its way and sports entertainment is coming in. There's, there's two types of crowds that's coming to see the World Wrestling Federation at this point there's the ones that look for the sports and as Jeff Parker just perfectly illustrated, Bret Hart is pound for pound the best from an athletic and a sports and a wrestling and a technician and a psychology and countless other adjectives that you could use. It's almost like Bret Hart was involved in a really good match a month ago, almost like that. And I mean the other side, the entertainment wise You've got The Undertaker, and he's got the best gimmick in the world. That entrance encapsulates any arena that you walk into. You've got Brett, the best kind of from a sports point of view, if you want to kind of suspend that disbelief to it still being what it should be. And you've got The Undertaker from an entertainment point of view. And they just seem determined to tie anchors to both of their ankles. And it's just, it's not helping anybody. And it's... As you say, this has been years in the making. A lot of stuff with Stu and Helen and Owen and Brett and this should have been so much more. And you summed it up perfectly. Jeff was right when he's saying this is Memphis. It was. And you summed it up as well. Bob was saying, loser leaves town. You kind of got a more Memphis step than that. And they just went with the wrong one. And yeah. it's just, I've, I don't know where either of these guys are going, Taker or Brett. And it's Brett you feel for when he is as good as he is. And he's one of the few people in the business these days, arguably with maybe a Shane Douglas, where you can you can almost see the heart beating inside those ribs, and they beat for this this business, and it's just this is what this is what Brett gets stuck with, and it's just it's not well, it fair. Look, looks like Brett's moving on to uh, Isaac Yankum DDS, aka I think uh, Unabomb. Jeff, is that right? Does that ring a bell? Uh, from Puerto Rico, and then working for uh, Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain. Yeah, Unabomb. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, any more on this? Yeah, you know what? I actually have a perfect booking way they should have done this, and I'm just going to uncork it because that's what I do. Uh, uh, If You know what? I talk about things being too Memphis. 
one of the best, most famous Lawler Memphis angles could have perfectly worked here to introduce Isaac Yankum. And if you guys have seen the videotape of Lawler versus Austin Idol in the cage in Memphis, loser has to give up their hair. It's a really heated feud. They hate each other just like Brett and Lawler hate each other. And you know what happens at the end of the cage? No one can come in. No one can interfere. But lo and behold, Tommy Rich comes out from underneath, screws yes. Lawler Austin Idol get they they get so much heat, and they 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 screw the baby face, and you're off and running with the new feud. So you get Isaac Yankum in there, maybe he's under the ring, and then you have you can just go off and running, and and maybe Brett has to kiss a foot or whatever whatever the stupid stipulation is. But I think there there are ways to take this where it actually has meaning, uh, and it gets even hotter. But I was waiting at Survivor Series 93 to see the Hearts beat the living crap out of Jerry Lawler, and I didn't get to see that. And I waited, you know, all of this time, and he kissed his foot. And now he's going up against a dentist. How do we introduce the dentist? <laughs> really, why don't we introduce him as some guy who's going to make Bret Hart embarrassed? Why don't we have Bret Hart laying? I mean, they don't do blood. But why don't why doesn't the WWF really introduce this guy on a hot angle? You're telling me that the people in Philadelphia, for the large portion, has seen the Austin Idol and Tommy Rich match that uh, with Jerry Lawler? No, steal it. All the best stuff is stolen. That's what I'd have done. It'd have worked. It'd have done good business. But what do I know? I'm just Jeff. What <laughs> would this of uh, this stipulation? All of the things being equal, do you think this might have worked if it had just been Lawler winning the match and it would have been another chapter on the road to Brett finally getting redemption? For all the faults with everything they did, had Hart have lost the match for our interference and ended up kissing Lawler's foot, do you think that would have worked? If Imagine the three pile drivers. And I mean, I, I don't think Brett ever should lose clean because the babyface shouldn't lose clean. That's why you're a heel. If, if the heel wins clean, he's just a really good wrestler. So you got to give him a reason to be a heel. I think if you hit, if you have some sort of dentist interference or Hakushi or some Gaga stuff, three pile drivers and your hero is out cold and he's got that. How, how embarrassing for Brett would that have been? How badly would you want to see his redemption, his revenge? And you know what? Maybe they do get a little blood. Maybe they do. Maybe, maybe at SummerSlam, it's Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler in a no holds barred match or an unsanctioned match or a street fight or a back alley, whatever. And, and you know what? I think people would pay to see that because damn it, he had to kiss this guy's foot that was in manure and blah, blah, blah. And he got screwed. And then people will want to pay to see Bret make Lawler pay. That's another chapter that I would pay to see. This is Brett doing what he's done the whole time, beat the crap out of Lawler, and uh where do we go from here? Uh, a cold a cold new heel. Or or the other well, at the same real point. They they do the finish and then have Brett keep the sharpshooter in, have the ref overturn the, the match result. All no, you have that, to do. That's the finish from uh SummerSlam ninety three though. Yeah, but uh, well, yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, Bob, I'm going to help you there, Jeff. Jeff put it down perfectly with We'll, we'll move on in a minute. We'll carry on. Go, go on, The match wrote itself. You do if you're determined to do this three pile driver spot, do it. But you don't continue with the match. You get Brett is down. Maybe even play up. What as is there a paraplegia hang here with the three pile drivers? The next going, Brett can't get up. Lawler stuffs his foot in the mouth, 
walks out, match done. It, it wrote itself. And you've got Brett there where he needs to get that redemption. As Jeff says, you've got the bums in the seats for the next show, whether it's a summer slam. We, we obviously need to get an end. This wasn't the type of match that could realistically give you a satisfactory outcome here. But Brett's laid out. Lawler's done it. And he just shoves the foot in the mouth. And whether you want to bring in Yankum at this point, a bill to that, just end it there. Because the match itself was never going to provide a productive outcome for me. And it never disappointed in that. I'm sure we can fantasy book this for the next hour, but I, I'm guessing we better move on. But long story <laughs> short, um, yeah, the, the ingredients were probably there and they didn't use them correctly. Um, I think that's, that's basically long. This, this could have been, this could and should have been probably the final match on the show had it have been the, the, the kind of feud ender, not that we're saying it necessarily should have been. Because um, it's worth saying, while, while this feud has been going on two years, it really hasn't. It kind of, it ended when, when Lawler's legal trouble started, and by and large it began again about four months ago, uh, having never really seen much light in 94, I don't think. Um, the commentary, though, every chance Lawler yeah. got. Well, yeah, all right. But, yeah, in terms of the actual, like, where there was any chapters to the story, it's really 93, 95. Um, and, yeah, but we, we won't dwell on it any longer because we could be here a long time. Anyway, we move on to the King of the Ring final. It's Mabel with Mo versus Savio Vega with Razor Ramon. Mabel charges Vega in the corner, who moves and gets some early offense in. Vega hits one of the weakest-looking ten punches I've ever seen, although in kayfabe logic it does say this is his fourth match of the evening, so I guess that kind of makes sense. Uh, Mabel body slams Vega, then Vega manages to whip Mabel over the top rope. Mabel locks in a bear hug in the ring. A long bear hug. A really long bear hug. He's still on that bear hug, Bob. An unbelievably long bear hug. It breaks down. Mabel goes back for another bear hug. This one mercifully is a bit shorter. <laughs> Mabel goes for a pin off a shoulder tackle for a two, then locks in a sleeper. A long sleeper. <laughs> the fans then start chanting ECW. Yes. <laughs> Genuinely happened. Vega rallies with a spinning back kick, but Mabel just about kicks out. Mabel goes with a falling slam for a two, but a splash does it, and Mabel is the king of the ring. We'll come to the post-match stuff in a minute. Jeff? I felt tired for Mabel watching this match. Uh, the guy carries around so much. It was just, I mean, it was just a lot of rest holds that felt like they were for rests, you know? It wasn't to get the crowd up and to get the crowd down and get the crowd into it. It was because Mabel probably needed, you know, a big tank of oxygen. Uh, <laughs> I have no comment. Thank God the King Mabel was coronated and, I don't know, whatever. I just... Charismatic vacuum I have written down. Del. <laughs> Mabel has cornered a very specific market, Bob, where he can be on the offensive and look in a, for, for a man of his size, what I imagine would be a just soul-destroying move in a bear hug, and he managed to look as if he was the one that was in defense. He, he genuinely looked he was in the pain, one that looked performing in pain, yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, he's, he's bent over in the middle of the ring. He looks as if he's going to pass out, but he's the one putting the move on. <laughs> it's like, it cuts to, obviously you've got the camera cuts, but it goes to Vega's face. He's obviously trying to sell the move, and I mean, 
I think Marlon Brando would struggle to sell it from Mabel. I mean, Mabel looked dead on his feet. To be and fair, he was the one Mabel performing the move. <laughs> Go, on, Jeff. What do you well, say? I just want to, I want to point out that Mabel and Marlon Brando are arguably the same size. Well, true at that point. <laughs> but I mean, it's, and this it's, is unarguably. It was just one. It was just one long bear hug. It was shocking. I, it's if if we if we're going to talk about Yokozuna not being in ring shape uh, uh, and make all very good points, Dale, how is Mabel in any different a position on the basis who is, that he? Who is Yokozuna, Bob? He's a former champion. He is a Yokozuna of Japan. Should we believe? who he's played as, he's he's accomplished it. He's been up at kind of headlining WrestleMania's on multiple occasions. He's a champion. He's got Kermit and Fuji there. He's got he's done it. He's made his money. He's made his name. At this point Mabel's twenty four year old. What's Mabel done? Yeah, I mean he's won the King of the Ring, brilliant made up for him. But I mean Yoko's Yoko Yoko's done his, done his job. He's earned the mass amount of weight that he has put on in the last year to 18 months. He's earned that. I mean, Mabel's, Mabel's meant to be in the crest of wave at this point of view with the future ahead of him. Probably and caused the like, wave. Well, <laughs> And I mean, that, that bear hug was just, come on. He looked, he looked in pain. And I mean, yeah, you're selling the, you're selling the matches that he's been involved in. Oh, it's been a long slugging journey to this final and he's finally been coordinated and he's earned that rest on the throne when he gets up there with the, the crown and the, the crown and the sword. But I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard imitating life. He was done and he was done seconds in this match and it just, oh, it was awful to watch. Hands down, one of the most painful matches I've ever watched. Um, it, it just, uh, I, I, yeah, just, just generally, genuinely horrendous in terms of we, we've got Vega on match number four, which is probably four more than he should have been wrestling <laughs> on this pay-per-view. And we've got Mabel on match number two, which is probably three more than he should have been wrestling on this pay-per-view. And we've got a crowd that just doesn't care at all. I mean, apparently there were, there were, we'll come to check with them in a second. Apparently there were fairly, like, audible ECW chants, well, it was throughout the show in terms of if you're in the arena, you heard it. Yes, we're in Philadelphia, you know, it comes to the territory. But the one that, because <laughs> there's a great line where, where Vincent Man goes, oh, let's listen to this. And then we just get, he's C-dub, he's C-dub, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and this, like, this, that probably the loudest thing on the entire show, with the exception of when Brett locks in the sharpshooter, is, is about probably two and a half, three thousand people in, in amongst 10,000 people in the arena chanting for a company that hardly any of them have heard of and hardly any of the people watching will have heard of. And it's... Uh, let's address these chants. I mean, that's a... That's a, that's a sign. That's a real, like... You know, that's a bad sign. We've came... Well, as far as we know at this point, we've came to the closure there an almost two-year angle with Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler. We have crowned a new King of the Ring. We have a, a very disappointing show, Bob, but if you're sitting backstage with any semblance of authority, 
three letters should stand out to you more as any indictment in this show than anything else that occurred on it. Is, is it MLM? Is it, is it Men on a Mission? It, it is not, I'm is afraid, it Bob. It's, I mean, that, that should be, abs- that shouldn't be setting the alarm bells off. That should be burning the building down in a flood of sprinklers setting off in that, that arena. That should be just trying, God, God willing, that should be just blowing up backstage that that's what they seen at the pinnacle of what could be Mabel's career. We don't know where he's going to go. I, I don't imagine he's going to peak more than winning a King of the Ring tournament live in pay-per-view. But that should be just abs- just getting through everybody in a suit backstage. The fact that they were chanting for another outlaw company during the crowning, or just before the crowning of our king, the man who represents, with the exception of the WWF champion, this company and they were cheering for someone else, that is a sign that something isn't on. It's oh, I, a sign... I got on, Dale, sorry. Sorry, Bob, it's just, it's, that's a sign that we need to do something here, whether it's watching ECW as simple as that, whether it's finding out who is ECW, maybe even for some of them. This is a sign that these fans, for as much as they did pop during that Bret Hart-Jerry Lawler match where we have educated them to go with what we do and kind of believe in that and go with it and take it for what it is. There's there's people in that arena that have paid God knows what on a ticket on merchandise and hot dogs and sodas. There's people watching at home paid 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks for a pay-per-view and they're chanting for something that's free. They're chanting for something that, as you say yourself, probably a minutia of this World Wrestling Federation universe knows about and it should just be setting alarm bells off for it's we need to change something here. Whether it does, who knows, I, I do hope so, but we can only wait and see. I think they can count themselves quite lucky because I think if you'd have put this match in a proper ECW audience, the one thing the, you know, Big O Hall fans would not have been shouting, would have been ECW. Uh, they'd have been shouting something rather loud and something that they might have had to have bleeped out. Um, so, uh, Jeff, a- a- any thoughts on on either just it itself or what Dell said? Well, the uh, I think the poorest decision WWF made tonight was, you're in Philadelphia, and ECW or whether it's, you know, if it's the fans of ECW or not, Philadelphia is notorious for being a tough sports town. And if you give them something they do not like, they will boo you. Uh, you know, they're famous for booing Santa Claus. And if a player on the Philadelphia Eagles gets hurt and he's not playing well, they will cheer his injury. Um, so by putting this product in front of this audience and then they turn on it, I'm I'm not sure if it's a if it's a, a testament to ECW's popularity or if it's just Philly's a tough crowd. Philly's used to some really good wrestling when the NWA would come up or Crockett or even you know the the ECW you know bingo hall crowds. And then you give them Savio Vega and Mabel. I mean, this might be the only time I would actually say I'd rather watch a Sandman match, and that's garbage in, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but I'd rather see Sandman than Mabel, and that's the only time you'll get me on record to say that. 
Well, fair enough. I mean, uh, uh, Dell, correct me if I'm wrong. What was was the guy with the straw hat in the front row for this? Who's usually? I see that guy with his like, straw hat, a cowboy hat. I seen somebody with kind of look like like an old biker with like shades and black hair and black t-shirt and black jacket on as well. I think there was a couple of people that I'm sure we've that we've spied at some point, but it's to be expected. It's Philly, as Jeff says. Yeah. Um, and as you say yourself, they were bloody lucky that that kind of. 10, 20 seconds in the middle of the final of the King of the Ring, that was the only really, for a TV audience, that was the only notable kind of uprising ECW for the show that they put on. By God, were they lucky that that was all that it came with. Then after the match, Razor Ramon gets in the ring but gets attacked by Mabel, who drops an elbow from the second rope. The one, two, three kid runs out but gets attacked Rich Troubles too. Jeff, uh... I don't know that I'm, I'm, well, maybe it does make sense, but I don't know that I'm having Razor and the kid getting beaten up in this situation. I'd rather Aldo Montoya and X other babyface lower carder eat some finishers here rather than two of my most popular guys. I think that's a bad move. Well, if they're going the house show circuit with Razor and uh, Mabel, it, it makes sense. Uh, and if they're going with maybe Mabel and Mo versus Kid and, and Razor, that would make sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a reminder with Razor and Kid out there that they're there and they, you know, aren't wrestling, which when I'm buying a ticket to, to go to a pay-per-view, I want to see the best and I want to see them pull out all the stops. I don't want to see Mabel coming off the second rope, uh, ever. No, don't. I think the, the worst thing for me, Bob, is it just kind of reminded people, it's, it's almost like kind of twisting the knife after it's already been put in six times that you don't know we've got uh, Razor Ramon in the roster here, by the way, yeah? and we, we've got the one, two, three kid. I mean, I know we'd ever put him in a match, but look, here he is, we could have we could have had these two in this bracket. Here's what you could have won, essentially. Yeah, it just kind of reminded people, it's like, no, we went with Mabel, and... Uh, we, we went with him all night, and mind, mind we've seen Savio Vega four times. Could have showed you the kid and Razor, but nah. They just reminded the crowd who could have been there, which was a nice touch. As this proclamation states, let it be known from this day forward Uh, apparently there's not a great deal of respect for this king by this capacity crowd. Well, they love the bad guy. Let it be known from this day forward that the WWF superstar known as Big Go ahead, please. Let's get this over with. That's one angry king. I think the fans are even angrier. Has competed against the very best the world wrestling federation has to offer. I wouldn't say he'd ever been to an Evelyn Woods speed reading course. 
And uh, Mo is taking great exception to, to this reception. He has thereby proved his superiority against all WWF superstars. And therefore, from this day forward, you may all bow before his grace. Bow. Bow. Behold, I present to you the 1995 World Wrestling Federation King of the Ring, Long Live King Mabel! And then we get on stage for the coronation. Moe's reading from a scroll. There's a fair amount of crowd heat for this bit. Uh, Moe says Mabel has proved his superiority against WF superstars. I'll let you decide whether he has or not. Uh, WWF officials have to hold back, raise up the kid and value for getting Mabel. We cut backstage and Jerry Lawler is by a sink. He's, he's vomiting and genuinely <laughs> necking mouthwash and eating toothpaste. Jeff, this was, um, what do you think of this, Jeff? Uh, some people didn't like it. I, I didn't think it was too bad. Other, other than the bit perhaps where he was throwing up, I quite like this segment. I think that when Bret Hart's done beating you up, you shouldn't be at the toilet throwing up or at the sink brushing your teeth. You should be in the hospital bed because your knee's messed up because of the sharpshooter. I think Bret is, is, has, this, has this astounding credibility. And by putting this Gaga type of Lawler stuff with it, it's just, it's not my scene. It's not my style. Uh... Brett is a serious wrestler, and I feel like it dilutes him by having all this this gaga, you know, jokey joke stuff around him. But that's, you know, again, I'm a Bill Watts guy, so. <laughs> Jeff, uh, Delzori? Uh, a bit harsh for Jeff, but actually, it's it's a pay-per-view. Folk have worked all week, all month to kind of put some dollars in the, the WWF's pocket. We don't want to see skits for all. It's like, it served a point. I thought it was alright, but as Jeff says, it's, this is about building Bret Hart for getting this winter, this two year rivalry. It's not about a, a backstage segment with Jerry Lawler stood at a sink. I mean, Tripper as he is, we kind of necking the, necking the kind of mouthwash and the toothpaste and you've seen everything lying about the sink and I mean, God love him for doing it, but if, I don't know. Did it serve a purpose? No, I mean, the, the, he does a very similar segment on Raw, which we'll, we'll play the audio for uh, at the end of this review. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think I, I would have left the comedy for, for there rather than here. Uh, we move on. We get promos from both teams uh, prior to the main event. Bama Bigelow employs some very questionable maths, saying that the 110% they're both going to bring <laughs> equates to 220%. Uh, not sure that's how that works, Bam Bam, but, you know, whatever. No, not the most objectionable thing on this show, let's say that. We move into the main event, and it's Psycho Sid and Tatanka with Ted DiBiase versus Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow. The faces go out of the heels early, who scarp to the outside. Diesel starts off again to Tanka, but the distraction allows Sid to work over Diesel's elbow on the ring post. So Tanka takes multiple strikes to the elbow. Sid gets in a right and continues the assault on the elbow. Sid misses an elbow drop and Bam Bam gets in the ring to a big reaction and unloads. Bam Bam drops a headbutt from the top rope, but the referee is distracted and cannot make the count. Sid manages to hit a chokeslam to Bam Bam from the second rope. He then stalls too much and Bam Bam kicks out. Tatanka hits a belly-to-back suplex and the heels have the control. 
Batman tries to rally but just eats a big boot from Sid. He goes for a slingshot, something uh, or something or other from the apron, but Tatanka grabs his legs with the ropes turn. The ref turn, sorry. Uh, Sid hits a running boot to Bam Bam on the outside. Diesel gets the tag and goes after Sid, hitting a bodding slam and a drop, dropping an elbow, which hurt Diesel more than it did Sid. Tatanka hits a lovely DDT to Bam Bam, who barely kicks out. They both run at each other hard and go for a double clothesline and both go down. Bama hits a lovely running cannibal, then hits an enziguri and gets the tag to Diesel. Diesel hits the tanker with an almost a big knee, uh, then signals for a jackknife. A tad sloppy, but makes sense given his elbow injury. Diesel pulls out the pin, then signals to Sid and says, I want you. Sid responds by walking off up the R-way. Diesel then drops an elbow and pins the tanker. Jeff? Um, you know, how did Diesel get over? He got over for being a badass who walked through people not having a 20-minute tag match where he was selling. Uh, highlight the strengths, downplay the weaknesses. You know, having this poor guy sell, you know, his injured elbow, I, I don't think it really gives you the best personality of Diesel. He's got some cool high spots. If you look back to the Rumble last year, I think it was the 94 Rumble, I mean, he's this he's this, this literal Diesel Mack truck running through guys. And to put him in there against, you know, Sid, who we all know, you know, his his limitations. And Tatanka's not bad, but Tatanka's not a main eventer. And you've got Diesel just kind of, you know, I think it exposes him unnecessarily. I think when you look at that Diesel character, you got to look at guys like, you know, comic books like The Wolverine or, or The Punisher. Like real kind of, you know, roguish, tough guys who don't give a damn, who can kick ass. And Diesel just... Seems kind of lame right now, and and you know the, the cool the coolest part of the match was when he has Tatanka pinned after a, a, an abysmal power bomb jackknife, and he pulls him up because that for me goes you know what he means business he wants Sid I thought that was cool other than that I love Bam Bam I feel like he's lost his personality as a baby face uh, you know what can you say is no. why is Bam Bam back a look come in and did you, I mean, audio for the night for me was the double draw call for the ring announcer, but visually the night was bam bam coming out like Max Moon at the start. And I mean, Jeff's right, they've just kind of killed what they had with, with bam bam. He's coming out like a cartoon. The match, the match was decent. It was a decent tag match. He couldn't really see much more. He couldn't really say much less, but this was the main event. And it was like, if you'd have put this on earlier, I mean, last year with the, the head shrinkers coming out halfway through the King of the Ring and breaking up the brackets and kind of giving somebody, giving everybody a bit of something else. And it's like, this was on as the main event. And I mean, I think it sums up how disappointing the show is that prior to it, Sid cut an incredible promo. Probably wasn't any better than about a four out of ten, but it seemed amazing at the start of it just because of what we'd seen all night. And it was just a decent time. Put this on early. Put this on top of the first hour. Kind of gives you a break in the card. Get the quarterfinals out of the way. It was one of the fastest matches of the night. And when you've got, kind of come back to the, the Undertaker situation, you were saying, Bob, where you've got the Undertaker in a pair and he's the agile one. It's not looking good. When you've got a match with, kind of Bam Bam is amazing for his size, but you've got Diesel in there. You've got Sid. You've got Tatonka. This was one of the quickest matches of the night. And, uh, just the placement seemed very, very strange. There was no stakes in this whatsoever. 
set up the diesel sad situation if that's where they're going, but other than that, it's just a decent tag match. I was actually bored by this stage in the show. Um, just, I, I, I don't know what, maybe I'd just been ground down, but I, I, I'm not sure I was all that invested in the main event anyway, but I just didn't care. Um, and yeah, that like, I think it's one of those things. It's a main event, but it's a main event that's clearly a chapter in a bigger story. You know, they're clearly going to do uh, Diesel and Sid again once Diesel's fully fit. And so I'd almost question whether on another night, whether they should have gone with Lawler and, uh, and Brett in the main event rather than this, because this, you know, we end up with a, a fairly clever finish, actually. I, I think to give them some credit, the the, the, the bit with... You know, as Jeff said, the bit with Diesel having the match run, but going, no, I, I want Sid. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat the tanker. I don't want this out. And then Sid walks off. And, you know, I guess you could say maybe Diesel goes after Sid, but he's like, no, I'm just gonna wrap this up and then I'm gonna deal with him later. That was a positive, but this match just wasn't very good. I, I, again, perhaps, I think Dale, you're perhaps right. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit harsh in the sense that it was a match that wasn't very good in part because it was, you'd been kind of, beaten down beforehand in terms of mm. what had come earlier um but yeah it just and and jeff i don't i don't know about you guys but jeff to tanker as a main eventer I and mean, we had butcher in, in in a in a main event of uh of uh starcade in in december but I, i'd have to tanker right up there as guys that just shouldn't be anywhere near the main event of pay-per-views well i think at least you know Tataka got there on some merit not you know just his best friend i i i would say that Tataka has Probably a little more upside than the butcher or the barber or the candlestick maker or whoever he's calling himself this week. Well, no, he's uh, not calling himself anything at the moment. He's literally the man with no name. The man with, the man with no name, yeah. Well, the man with many plates in his face too. That poor guy. Oh my well, that's god, true. that's, that's true. horrible. That's that's one of the most uh, uh, just coming back from that injury is just. I mean, give him props for that, I suppose. But uh, I don't want to. I don't want to segue too far off into the butcher or the. Man with no name or whatever we're calling him, but, uh, I think, you know, Tataka's is not, I guess, I guess silver lining, it could be worse than Tataka. <laughs> could it, could it really be that much work? Oh, we're going to get made. If you watched the last two and a half hours, Bob, it could have been significantly worse. I don't know, because like Tataka's like a, a decent worker, like masquerading as someone better. At least I know the rest of the guys are crap. Like there's the, you know, Tataka I think can trick people into believing he's quite good alongside some of these other guys. Like just to me, he, he is, he is honky tonk man last year in WCW. He's just a massive turn off. I don't see any, Policies from him. Ever since they turned him heel, he's just the same character, just even more irrelevant. Uh, I am being a bit harsh on him, but I just, for me, he's like change the channel type guy. I, I don't. We've seen the Tatanka thing, and unless he has a dramatic change of game, which he probably should have done when he turned heel. I remember like the, the night after. I think it was. Uh, SummerSlam 94, the night after they had, uh, Tatanka come out in a suit thinking, oh, this is a bit different. And then it's just, no, he's still dressing the same. He's still wrestling the same. He's just now a heel and he's largely as irrelevant as he was before. Um, yeah, he, he's got the go away heat that I had with, um, with Honky Top Man last year for me. And I, I don't think he should be anywhere near a main event. Yes, it kind of made sense, but I'd have rather Karma in the spot. Um, at least then you'd have had four big guys and it would have made a bit more sense size-wise. I don't know. Just horrid. Anyway, let's... Uh, 
Del, let's draw a conclusion to all this. Um, <laughs> your, your overall thoughts on this show without going another 10 minutes and a score rating out of 10. I think even in the early days after this pay-per-view, Bob, we're, we're still obviously just a couple of days out for this finish. And this is, this is probably going to become quite notorious, this show. But, I mean, there are, there are a lot of people already saying it's one of the worst shows they've ever seen. For me, it doesn't even deserve that. It's like, there's the saying it's so bad, it's good. This wasn't. It's, have I seen worse? Probably. Will I see worse again? Probably. But what do I remember? Mabel won the King of the Ring. There's nothing else I really remember. It's just, the easiest way I can sum up is this is like a yellow fruit pastel. This show where it's like, I don't care enough to think it was that bad. It was funny. It was just, I don't, it's there. It was a bit of a waste of time. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It was just, it passed three hours that felt like six. And it's like, uh, for three out of ten, I'll give it overall. Don't care. Jeff. All right. uh, Well, there was no RoboCop. So (laughs) that's the first negative. Uh, Here's what I'll say. I'll give one point for Shawn Michaels' performance. I'll give one point for the roadies' performance. And I'll give one because Bret Hart is truly the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. That's three. That's three out of ten. That's being generous because I think those three athletes, those three performers really did put in good showings. And you know what? I'll give a half to The Undertaker because he was working with, uh, you know, a no-win situation, a Kobayashi Maru, if you will. Uh, <laughs> so three and a half out of ten. Uh, King of the Ring 1996, please be better. You know? Oh, it can't be any worse. Well, from the ground up then, you know? Moe's got to win it next year. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm not as kind as you guys are school writing. I know three isn't exactly much praise. I gave this a one and a half. Um, The half purely because it wasn't quite as awful as Battle Bowl 93 uh, in the sense that Battle Bowl 93 was mind-numbingly boring. Um, we, yeah, we, we didn't cover that show because it didn't really fit in given we had a, a clash and, and, and whatever to cover as well that month. Um, this wasn't, that, that, that's my yardstick for, for shitness with this project. This, this was fractionally better in the sense that awfully sometimes better than dull. Um, and this was, this was slightly more awful than Battle Ball was dull. Um, but it didn't, it did go a bit quicker, but there are so few redeeming features, Jeff. I think you're being incredibly generous to give you a, a half point for Undertaker's suffering. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those things where they caused their own problems. The guys that were put in the matches couldn't even deliver to perhaps the level they probably should have done. Uh, and the booking was horrendous. And, and it, it says a lot that for all the faults with this roster, we can we could have picked an eight guy bracket that probably would have been half decent even even if even if we have to have Mabel win it we could have had the other seven where look we'll we'll pick our spots we'll put the guys in the right places we might be able to get away with it but to, the fact as I say the, the the biggest problem with this format is that with this show is that the King of the Ring tournament qualifiers included the best three matches happened weeks ago 
That's the biggest problem. The most relevant three matches, and you're looking at a tournament where Owen Hart was backstage, not involved. Lex Luger, I assume, was backstage, not involved. British Bulldog, the same thing. Razor Ramon, injured, one, two, three, kid. We think injured, I tell you, you could probably give them that. Um, Jeff Jarrett on the sidelines, not involved. Um, you know, unforgivable. Don't forget Hakushi. Hakushi, God Christ, yeah. Those six, with Sean and Undertaker, that's a really good bracket. And a cameo from Art Donovan would even have got an extra half a point for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that as well. Anyway, we, we've got far too long on this show already. Yeah, but one and a half. It's, again, it's, to say it's better than Battle Ball, I, I think would be to simplify the question too far. For me, it's just, it's slightly more bearable in that it's far worse, but in a way that's far more watchable. Uh, Battle Ball was kind of like nauseating, um, this wasn't quite that. Oh, all you people. It's old Waylon Mercy again. As you can tell, I'm out here at the park, around the picnic area, waiting for all the people to come in. Shortly after a while, they'll be out here with their children, with their fried chicken and potato salads and some hot dogs. Surely some hamburgers to go along with all that stuff. And the kids, they'll be running around here having a good old time. And then after a while, the kids will get on the parents' nerves. And the parents will start yelling and screaming. And then load up everything, put the children in the back daggum seats. And then they'll go home, and then they'll tell all their families and friends what a great time they had at the park and what a great picnic it was. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Waylon and Mercy knows how to throw a good picnic. And when I get into the ring in the WWF, <laughs> I'm going to show you people what a picnic is all about. You know what I mean? After King of the Ring, we join Raw on June the 26th, and Jerry Lawler is visiting a dentist, specifically Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS, who is working on Lawler's mouth. Lawler says that Yankum used to be a wrestler, and he says that he will start with Bret Hart when he comes to the WWF. King Mabel comes out carried on the throne by four incredibly brave men. He wins a squash match. During the main event between Jeff Jarrett and Savio Vega, Jarrett and the roadie get into it with Shawn Michaels, who's doing commentary in place of Lawler. Michaels unloads on Jarrett in a post-match confrontation. You might think this is funny, McMahon, but it's not. I can assure you, there is nothing humorous about this. You know what I mean? Oh, gosh. I want to tell you something. Ever since last night, I have been trying to get this stench, this smell out of my mouth. I thought I had terminal halitosis. Bret Hart, I'll give you credit. Your feet are the smelliest there was, the smelliest there is, and the smelliest there'll ever be. I've even had to come here to my good friend, <laughs> Dr. Isaac Jacob, CDS, and he's been working for the past hour and a half on my mouth, and it's not there yet. Wait a minute. Oh. Bret Hart, you have not seen the last of me. I want to tell you something. You're going to pay for this. I promise you. 
you are going to pay for what you did to me, at King of the Ring. And my good friend, as I said, Dr. Isaac... <laughs> Yankum! Yankum, excuse me. DDS has promised me, once he saw what you did to me, that he is going to extract some revenge himself. Because you see, Bret Hart, before he became the world's greatest dentist, he was also the world's greatest wrestler. Under an assumed name. And now, after he saw my mouth, my mouth that used to be so clean, and my breath was as fresh as baby's breath, but now, inside my mouth, he sees plaque, and he sees tartar, and he sees, he sees gingivitis, and I got a canker sore over here you wouldn't believe. Well, let me tell you something, Fred Hart. He promised me that he is going to come back to the WWF and drill his way to the top. And he's going to start with you. And he's going to extract each and every one of your rotten teeth with his big right hand. Bret Hart, Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS, is going to practice anything but painless dentistry with you. Do you understand? This is working. Give me that. Give me that. You're going to get it, Bret Hart. I promise you've not heard the last of the king on this. We come out of the darkness and into the light. Dal, let's talk about Chris Benoit. <laughs> I mean, we've just spoke about it before before that review of the King of the Ring, Bob. I mean, they had so many tools that they could have used that they already had. I mean, we've got Chris Benoit coming in here who we've seen a lot of ECW in the last few months, even going back to myself and Lacey again with the Triple A show last year. This is what 1995 wrestling should be. He's far from polished. He's came on with the promo side of it. But um, he's just, you could easily just slot him into this company at the minute and not look slightly out of place. He can wrestle better than, dare I say, most others on it, with the exception of maybe an Owen or a Bret Hart. He can put on matches with, I would, there's notable people that I would put him in with, whether it's going up against a Brett and her own with the kind of Canadian connection, the technical prowess connection. There's just, you could easily slip him into this King of the Ring. And I mean, dare I say, you could say he's better than the man that won it. Quite well, easily. I mean, we, we, we want to talk about change the play if you've not got Razor. Yeah. Can you imagine if they'd have just, with no build-up at all, put Benoit in the Savio Vega spot? Exactly. I yeah, think cause... I think Benoit could have got a, like a, a barely passable match out of Mabel. If there's a will, there's a way. He'd have made it happen. I'm I'm sure of that. If it's possible, he would have got there. And like he could have wrestled every single match on this card, and the show would have been far better if it had just been three hours of Chris Benoit. Yeah, easily. I, I suppose the same is true with Shawn Michaels. It would have been true with anyone who's a, as a, a, in that class of worker, Bret Hart as well. Um, but yeah, we we, we want to talk about two hours of often painful wrestling. Benoit, you know, it, like if he wants to work in Japan, let the guy work Japan. I need him on my team. Like that's that that's my attitude. Jeff, Jeff, what's your? I know you haven't been kind of doing any ECW stuff, but I, I don't know what what's the kind of perception from from Benoit from a Canadian point of view. Well, uh, obviously he's got an amazing pedigree. He you know he has you know shades of the Dynamite Kid, and I think his work in Japan, like the the Super J Cup last year, was just incredible, just incredible work. 
Um, the one thing that I always I kind of think is a hiccup for me with Ben Wall and WWF is first off, he ain't a giant. And I know that's not as big of a deal as it used to be. Uh, you got guys like Owen and Brett and Sean and Kid and blah, blah, blah. But I think a lot of those guys have kind of personalities and, and some extra features that maybe at this point he doesn't have. I'd like to see Benoit create a little more, uh, a little more of a, like the wild Pegasus character get some more experience on the international scene. Uh, you know, I, I think he's I think he's tailor made for Japan. I think he's a little small. If you look at Diesel and Taker, I mean, he's incredible. But I I don't think you know the King of the Ring 1995 is saved by a by a Chris Benoit any more than they would be a, a Brad Armstrong. I don't know about that. I mean, like, if if Benoit's in the Savio Vega spot, I, I think he'd have he'd have held up his end. Uh, I think he would have, but yeah, no, I, Jeff, I, I think your, your reservations are correct. I think Dale, when, when we had this, when we've had this discussion, the perception is he, he is a guy who's going to be ready, but it probably is too soon. Dale, is that a fair assessment? I think when you've got, and come back to the news, when we spoke about the three pretty much guarantees that's coming in, you've got Benoit, we've seen him in ECW, we've never seen him in a big stage. You've got Dustin Rhodes, coming in for WCW, who we have seen on a stage that could easily slot in, dependent on a gimmick. You've got Shane Douglas, who is not as technically sound a wrestler as Benoit, but as Jeff says, he's got that defining characteristic that sets him apart from being a smaller guy. When you've got somebody that's got Shane Douglas's pedigree and doing what he's done, for me, he slots in a lot easier than a Benoit. Not to say that he's not got a part, because he certainly does, especially with the last three years that we've just watched The King of the Ring. But I, I think Douglas is certainly a couple of steps further up that ladder than a Benoit would be at this point. But I would happily see both of them there. Yeah, no, no, I think Jess Assassin's right in the sense that, yeah, and the other thing is, is that they've got one, two, three kid who's a guy with you know, kind of what Jeff describes, you know, not a ton of personality, not a great gimmick, but you kind of feel like, the one, two, three kid is that guy in that slot. I don't get the sense they want another one. They should, but they don't. Um, and I, I, I dare wonder what they, you know, as I said, they might, they could develop for him if they wanted to bring him in for a character. Uh, we ultimately don't know where that's going, but yeah, uh, I, I'm more positive on that thing. Having done two hours of discussion on King of the Ring before we just brought a come on to this point uh, I'm probably slightly more biased thinking yes they should bring him in just because so we don't have to sit through another pay-per-view <laughs> like this uh, and he'd undoubtedly make the product better um, but if the time isn't right I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that he doesn't come in and that he picks a better time to do it um, because when the time is right he'll he'll make some noise I'm, I don't think there's any any doubt about that whatsoever Vince McMahon took part in a rare media appearance with Chet Kopak, touching on a number of wrestling topics including Hulk Hogan and the prospect of WCW's new Monday night television show. When asked about Hulk Hogan, McMahon said the WWF and Terry Bollea were part of a joint effort to create Hulk Hogan. He said he believed that they had had a close personal relationship, but he guessed he had been fooled by Hogan. McMahon, not for the first time, said that had Hogan have stayed, they would have turned him into their Babe Ruth. McMahon was then asked about Hogan in 1995 as part of WCW. He responded by calling it a disaster. 
McMahon said, here you have Turner's vast organisation with networks and whatever it may be, yet they have no idea how to package and how to merchandise a Hulk Hogan, especially an ageing Hulk Hogan, which is important. When asked whether Hogan could turn heel, he said, well, with what he has done with Turner, that has not been a success. I would suggest that that might be a likely move. He got onto the subject of Randy Savage also. He said that career-wise, Savage had, quote, jumped off a ledge. I understand Randy was getting up there in years when he was here, but we protected him, just as we were going to protect Hulk Hogan. You don't send him out there to the arenas every night. First of all, physically, they're not capable of doing that. But beyond that, you have to be very selective and judicial in use of stars that become superstars because otherwise they burn out very quickly. On WCW's new programme on Monday nights, McMahon described it as a very poor move. He said, Why would you go head-to-head with someone? I think it would have to be a very uh, predatory move, I'd have to say. So I don't know how, from a corporate standpoint, Ted Turner would be viewed in corporate America as taking on this one family-owned enterprise that has established, yes, a vehicle on USA Network Monday nights at 9 o'clock. To me, coming up against the World Wrestling Federation head-to-head in this manner simply will prove which is the better product. We welcome that opportunity. I think his product suffers greatly by comparison. What would be better for us and the consumer would be for the public to be able to compare the two. Uh, Jeff, let's move on to these comments by Vince McMahon. Uh, we'll, we'll start. I mean, there's two things really to, to kind of cut on. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to the, the stuff about Hogan and Savage. Not that we're necessarily breaking massive amounts of new ground with that. He has made similar comments before, but I think it's interesting to, to hear what, uh, discuss what he said about Hogan. Uh, but let's talk about these comments, uh, about WCW's new television show. Uh, to a point, Jeff, you know, and I said this in the WCW part about Bischoff, to a point in a public interview, you, you expect bravado. You expect a guy who's, you know, he's not going to say, yeah, I think they're going to beat us, even if he's, even if a bit more concerned than that um but jeff the way he presented the whole corporate america taking on this you know family-owned company it's like <laughs> okay like the sort of true like you can sort like in a court of law you might be able to hold up that argument um but yeah he's full of it saying that really well, Vince McMahon in a court of law aren't really going to get along as well, far that's as true. antitrust or monopoly or predatory business practices. I mean, if you look back to when he took over the the world, quote unquote, uh, you know, Bill Watts to this day will tell you he had a really good antitrust case against him because Vince was doing predatory business practices. If you look back to the pay-per-view that, uh, that WCW or I might, might have still been Crockett Promotions went through, uh, when they were trying to get on pay-per-view and, and Vince was telling the companies, well, they couldn't get next year's WrestleMania if they carried the, 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 the uh, opponent's pay-per-view. He's been doing this for years. And you know what? Sometimes we've talked about Kama, the fighter already. Now we're talking about Karma. Because you know what? Ask Larry Matusuk down in uh, St. Louis. Ask Bill Watts. Ask Vern Gagne, who I don't have any sympathy for. But Vince went after all of them, lock, stock, and barrel, and you know what? Sometimes the chickens come home to roost. And for him to act like it's a fa- it's a family business, come on! I mean, you know, he went after everybody. And how many guys? I mean, ten years ago, how many different promotions were employing dozens and dozens and dozens of guys each, compared to now? And in large part, Vince was the guy that put a lot of those guys out of business. But he's a family company. 
Winner, t- winner tells the story, Jeff. I, I think that's the longest story. The winner gets to write the, the history books. And uh, in Vincent Mann's mind, he was, you know, he was doing, you know, what what was going to happen anyway. If it wasn't me, it would have been someone else, you know. And I, and, I was and that's the. Very true. That's very true. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, there's something to that as well. But it's kind of like there's this. Oh yeah. You know, I did it. Therefore this is the reason why it's good. Now it's happening against me. This is the reason why it's bad. It's like, uh, okay. Del, your thoughts? I think you two have summed up pretty, pretty well there, Bob. I mean, it's, he's just good. Vince is a, Vince is a clever guy. Nobody's going to deny that. He he is rare with his media appearances and his timing. It's pretty spot on. I mean, obviously he's going to be getting asked about it when, when Turner's making these moves, but, He's right with the kind of stance that he's taking, but it's just, I don't, competition is good. He even said that he's sell, but I mean, try to build yourself into this kind of little, this little family run store going up against the big bad Kmarts and Walmarts and it's, it, it's no washing. And as Jeff said, I mean, go back to like the, the time where he's kind of strong arming the, the pay-per-view companies, and I mean that first Survivor series when he's going up head to head with Crockett, and I mean nobody's nobody's buying it, and I mean even going back to last year with the steroid stuff and kind of turning up outside the court with a neck brace on and just being Mister America. I mean, I'm Vince. I'm I'm not Mister McMahon. I'm just Vince from a trailer park, and I'm doing the best that I can. And these big boys are coming into my playground, and they're, they're, they're taking my ball. And it's come on. I mean, you can see why he's doing it. Best of luck to him. Best of luck to Turner as well. I mean, it's definitely better that we've got this kind of head to head coming on. But it's come on. You're not. You're not kidding anybody, fans. No, no, you know, I mean, we, we, we did do a, a long discussion on this on the WCW show, but you know, with, with, with two fresh guests, I guess it's, it's a, a question worth asking. Uh, Jeff, what, what do you think of, uh, of WCW's move to, to, to start a new show on Monday nights and perhaps with a, a slightly more WWF led angle? How do you think the WWF, uh, can, should, or will respond? Well, I mean, uh, if Pepsi comes out with a new product, Coke's gotta respond, right? Coke can't just, you know, sell the same product because their competition's amping up uh, the stakes. So all of a sudden, WWF is going to have to look at their product and go, hey, if it's not good enough, we're gonna ha- they're going to change the channel. Maybe some of those sponsors we covet will go somewhere else. Uh, if they do not have the checkbook that Turner has, they're going to have to look to alternate ways to get fans to watch, which means improving the product. So for a fan's perspective, I think we're going to see uh, Vince pulling his socks up and really maybe digging into more, uh, I don't know if I want to say reality-based, but some of that more serious Bret Hart, uh, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels wrestling. Because Hogan and, to a lesser extent, you know, Flair and Savage, they can't pound for pound go with those athletes. So Vince does have a lot in the chamber to go up against them. Uh, as a fan, I'm excited. Because if I don't like one channel, I can flip to the next. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of like a feedback loop almost as well in terms of like the both companies will, that's one thing Vince said. It's like, well, we'll find out and we will. That, that's, that's kind of quite a, an exciting way of looking at it. I mean, that's the thing, like, for, for all the negatives right now in terms of the direction and, and the kind of bigger picture stuff, the ratings on Monday nights are holding up. 
You know, that they've, they've broken their record rating twice in the last two months. That tells they're doing something right. Now, a lot of the other stuff they're doing tells me they're doing a lot of things wrong, but, you know, if you can, if you ultimately wrestling is about creating matches people want to see. That's what it is, long story short, and one of the biggest problems that King of the Ring did, long story short, and part of the problem with that is with the tournament format, is that you don't create matches, or in this case they didn't create matches that people really wanted to see. Now, that will be borne out in the buy rate, but I think that translated to the enjoyment of the show and certainly the perception of the people in the building was that they didn't create matches people want to see. But on TV they've done a better job of that. Um, and also it, it says a fair bit that their their big rating numbers have come from when they've put in, you know, they're putting in more proven guys or more over guys or even guys like you know, Jeff Jarrett against Undertaker, you know. But those guys have had matches on pay per view that haven't done all that well. But you put them together and they fit quite well. Uh, Dale, same question. Only two points for me, Bob. The, the first one, I'm sorry, Bam Bam, but I'm going to need to steal some of your math books. Wrestling in the last couple of months, as you say, Bob has garnered two, three nines in ratings. That don't mean that WCW is going to start their show and we're going to be looking at a seven, eight overall share of the audience. Is it a case where this is maybe going to revitalise some old fans for when there was competition? Is it a case where we're going to see that 3.9 divvied up between the two? That's an exciting point for me where how is this audience going to split? Is it going to grow? Is it going to divide by what's there? We'll need to wait and see. The other point is, is similar as this is to maybe looking back to a 10, 15 year ago with Vince taking over the country. Vince is in the back foot this time that, dare I say, you wouldn't want anybody better than Vince in this position because he's been there and done it from Turner's side. Turner isn't a fool. He's a business mogul. He's got the money and he didn't can I get born with it he's made the most out of what he's got but Vince knows how to strong arm companies and how to make the most out of kind of getting that territory and making it your own but Vince is in a Vince is in a, a lot weaker state I would say than, than maybe what he was dealing with 10-15 years ago for WCW have already got name value they've done the rebranding from the days of Croc at the NWA they've got the names and they've got Flair Hogan and Savage Arguably, you've never had three bigger names in the last ten years from a North American wrestling point of view. Turner's got Turner's got an arsenal here, and it's whether they can just have the business now to match up that. WWF's got a lot more potential with that youth side there. We've we've seen the toil in the WCW in the last few months, but are you going to tune in for a first time reading it in a TV guide for exceptional technical wrestling, or are you going to turn in? Because Hogan's there, Savage's there, Flair's there, you're going to recognise names and it's whether they can capitalise on that by providing an undercard that makes you stay tuned or convince, kind of really put a, another gear into this new generation. And we, we, we come almost to the end of the show, but, uh, but, uh, but, but out of, out of 20 years ago mode, uh, certainly. Uh, and, and, and a big change of direction to, to, to talk about the uh, the unfortunate passing of uh, of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, we, we did discuss this in part one, and, and I kind of said my bit in there, so I'll, I'll largely um, let you guys take the lead. But I kind of figured with, with two new guests, we, we, we might as well just kind of do that on this show as well. Uh, Jeff, talk to me about Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, what's to say? One of the best babyface promos of all time. Uh, I was actually... Uh, 
the other day just walking around thinking, you know, okay, Dusty Rhodes, he's a great promo. Who's better? And that might be the hardest uh, challenge I've had all week uh, is, is to find anybody, really. And, and there are a few. And Piper is the one guy that came to mind. But that guy that could really talk you into the seats. And, and, and for me, I'm a huge Gary Hart fan. Gary Hart's probably my favorite. Playboy Gary Hart, favorite manager of all time. And Dusty's, you know, big baby face turn in Florida was against Pac Song. And he was teaming with Pac Song. And Gary Hart was his manager. And when you watch the way Dusty was able to manipulate the reaction of the crowds from going from stone cold heel to baby face was impeccable. It's a great turn. Uh, you know, he, he had an athletic background. He had the run with Murdoch. Uh, for all of the, you know, maybe negative things some people would say about him. I mean, my second rest, my, my first WrestleMania, he was wrestling Randy Savage in the, uh, intergender match. Um, I've, I've followed his career. He's, I mean, Terry Funk's one of my favorite wrestlers. And may I think that Dusty Rhodes might have been his best opponent and vice versa. Great matches with Harley Race. Those promos when he was working flair. Uh, you know, a really underrated feud was, 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 uh, Dusty and Ole Anderson. I mean, that stuff, if you can track that down, it's awesome. And, you know, a lot of people think polka dots. A lot of people think, you know, the late 80s. Dusty has some really great territorial feuds where, I mean, if it's Florida, if it is the Crockett Carolinas, even his work with, uh, Superstar Graham up in New York in the 70s. Dusty is, it's really good. I wouldn't call him my favorite wrestler. I wouldn't put him in my top ten. But a lot of respect and admiration for his body of work. And uh, he's going to be missed. It was a shock. No? Uh, it's, it's one of the things where you don't really get shocked at wrestling deaths anymore. But as Jeff says, it was a shock when this, when this happened. Because it was just so out of the blue. And I mean... Talked about it a lot in part one with WCW and Jeff's done a stellar job at it again there. We kind of talked through Dusty stuff in the territory days when it was, you know, whether it was working in Crockett later on or even going back to the NW when it was working with, with Funk and Ole and I mean, kind of just drawing it back to a WWF point of view, a lot of people will, as Jeff says, just look at Sapphire or look at Polka Dots and it's like, it, it, Dusty's one of the people where it was like, you always seen through whatever he was doing. You seen through the gimmick when he was just kind of dancing about in the ring or kind of messing about with the kids and things like that. And I mean, you seen through it for Dusty Rhodes and the man. You seen Virgil Runnels, and it's like he's just an inspiration, man. It's like he wasn't an Ico Pro body, he wasn't a WBF body. Like to talk about the the nineties when he was in WWF, he, he, he was just his cell, and he did it his way, no matter what he was. What he was lumped with, whether it was the, the gimmick that he got when he signed with Vince and, I mean, he could just take a lead balloon and just fly it to the moon. He really could. And I mean, one of the, the famous, the famous promos that we've heard earlier in the, the show where the, the, when he's talking about the hard times and I mean, he mentions John Wayne and I'm a big, big fan of John Wayne films and probably my favourite one is The Shootist, which is, it's just kind of showing John Wayne as a dying man. But he was still an outlaw. He's dying day, and that's just Dusty Rhodes. He done it. He done it his way. And I mean, obviously, we've been out of twenty years ago more than the the best kind of legacy that you can leave is the family that you leave behind. And looking at the two boys that 
we see in a business point of view and Dustin and Cody, I mean, Dustin's obviously had these issues and the way that he's turned out these days and the model professional that he is, we've not touched on him yet for WWF and the show, but we will be coming on to that. And I mean, he's just, very few people can make such an impact with the public but then still have it in their later life to give back in private to their own flesh and blood as well. I mean, he was just a an absolute legend in the business. As Jeff says, he's he's maybe no kind of top ten personally for myself, but you just can't help but respect the the guy. I mean, he was an outlaw in his day. He was just a true, honest, kind of loving, just a classy man. And I don't think you can sum up better than that. He's just, he's, he'll be sorely missed. And Jeff, uh, a guy that wasn't given the tools, didn't start out the career with the killer body in an era where the body really mattered and the look really mattered. He didn't have those tools. And so to make what he made out of what he, you know, to, to get dealt that hand and to win the tournament is a phenomenal effort. Yeah, I think I think the seventies, the emphasis. I mean, Dusty's Dusty's prime, I'd say, would be mid to late, probably late seventies. Um, Dusty, I mean, the body wasn't so much of a of an emphasis then as it was when Vince took over, especially in the New York area. Um, but it, but I, it was an era where what may not body, but where size counted for a lot. Yeah, but I, I think Dusty always came across, even from the Texas Outlaw days, as a as a you know as a uh, a tough barroom fighter, like the bunkhouse stampede dude, right? So I, I, I think that the main issue was the kind of the tummy splotch and the kind of the fact that, and I think one of the reasons he connected was because he looks like a fan sometimes, or at least looks like a guy in the bar who can throw hands if he needs to, or throw that bionic elbow. And when you, when you really look at, I mean, he, I mean, he, he obviously, you know, cribbed some stuff from Muhammad Ali and Thunderbolt Patterson as far as promos go, but the guy could, you know, and, and Dell brings up the shootist. I mean, Dusty always, you know, equating his character to that, you know, classic Western motif. Uh, he just, he, and, and people say this so often in wrestling, but he got it when it comes to a promo, you know, like, like he could, yeah, he wasn't gifted. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't as tall as, as Brody or as, as ripped as, uh, Superstar Graham or any of that, but he didn't, I mean, realistically, when we look back at all of their careers, how many people have heard that Hard Times promo? Or the Reach Out promo? Or the, you know, Living on the End of the Latin Boat? You know, all of these, all of these superb promos. And, and when you look in the ring, I mean, he could brawl, he could throw a drop kick. I mean, the, the dusty finish when used sparingly, as people have pointed out, worked. He drew excellent money. Um, you know, I think, I think the two best talkers maybe in history, uh, are Roddy Piper and Dusty Rhodes. Neither of them look like Hulk Hogan, but you know what? They talked you into the building. And Dusty, uh, God, man, I, I, I recently watched Royal Rumble 91. And his feud with DiBiase with Dustin and and he, there's a scene where Dustin's getting jumped outside and and uh, and Dusty you know jumps on top of him to protect him and it's just the psychology Dusty had is just I, I, I'm not going to say unparalleled because I think Terry Funk and and to a lesser extent maybe Brett have tremendous psychology but Dusty on his on his you know best day 
I don't think could touch can be touched by many. And that will wrap up an incredibly long taping. Uh, we, we started recording this. I don't know how long it'll edit, uh, but we started recording this show around two and a half hours ago. Uh, obviously that, you know, we have, we have breaks and, and, and things get, a few things get dropped and all that. Um, but yes, uh, as uh, 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 I wasn't expecting our King of the Ring chat to go that long, but you know, but these things happen. Uh, particularly where Jeff's concerned, we do generally end up rebooking most things when Jeff comes on the show. Uh, he, Canadian. I think yes, something like that. Uh, anyway, Jeff Parker, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, well, this afternoon, for in your case. Thank you, uh, Jeff. You people can find you on Twitter. Yes, at Jeff P Parker. It's that simple. And as always, to Dale Muir. Dale, thanks so much, mate. Thanks as always, Bob. Uh, you're on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Dale underscore Muir blogs and the the rest on Twitter. site, all that stick, but. Pleasure be, pleasure be yourself as always. And also, Mr. Parker, thanks very much, Jeff. Yes, great talking to you, Dale. And, uh, to wrap up this month's show, uh, I've been Bob Bamber. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamber. Uh, Wrestling20RS on Facebook, uh, Wrestling20RS on Twitter, Wrestling20RS.com, uh, for a website for all the blogs. You can find links to RSS feeds, uh, iTunes on there. Uh, if you want to subscribe to our email newsletter, you can do that there as well. Uh, and yes, I've been talking for too long this evening and I've, it's about half past ten UK time. I've got to edit this thing and get everything online. If I can do that before midnight, I will be quite happy. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, I've been Bob Bamba. This has been uh, Volume 2 of the June 1995 edition of Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>